0: You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 152. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you like to find your podcasts. I'm sure we're there. Look for us. Find us. If we're not there, then you probably didn't hear this to tell us that we're not there to let us know that we should add it there. But you'll figure out a way. Life has a way and you'll figure it out.
1: All right. And you can curl us at CodingBlocks.net, we can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a whole lot more, and see feedback questions and rants, too. Comments at CodingBlocks.net.
2: Yep, you can follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks, or head to www.CodingBlocks.net and find all the social links there at the top of the page. With that,
0: I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. Now, does it have to be curl, or could I use wget? Like, what, does it have... Maybe uh, not what, what w- you get. What's the PowerShell? And I forget, like invoke oh, uh, web
1: HTTP inv- invoke web request. Why do yeah. they do that? <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that's your fault.
1: <laughs> you switch to command.exe and then you run curl.exe. That's what you do.
2: They have Docker images for all that.
1: This episode is sponsored by
0: Datadog, the monitoring and security platform for end-to-end visibility into your applications. And Datastacks, the open multi-cloud stack for modern data apps built on open-source Apache Cassandra. And Linode, simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud bills in
1: half with Linode's Linux virtual machines. All right. Hey, and today we are looking at why Python is so popular because uh, it's interesting to me. And everybody, <laughs> everybody, it's interesting to everybody. That's right here, right? On with the show. <laughs>
0: I think somebody's awesome. taking his game jam experience a little too far, and
2: <laughs> he's trying to push his desires on the entire world. We're fine with that, though. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it.
0: That's what it is.
2: So, uh, you know, as we like to do, we have a little bit of podcast news here, and we usually like talk about the reviews for a second or two, but we have none today. So, so, but but there is one thing that did happen. Because we laughed about it, and I think you made fun of our review page last time and said, what? you know, hey, there might be a link, maybe, it <laughs> works. That
0: does not I, sound I, like something I would say, sir.
2: Right, right. Oh, maybe it wasn't. Maybe I dreamed it up. But I did actually go modify that page and update it with Audible and iTunes. So it has been... Two links. Yes, there are two links now that, that apparently work. <laughs> so that, that's good news. Uh, so, as well. Wow. Go ahead.
1: Uh, I was just gonna say um, it was regarding reviews. So are you gonna change the subject or are you staying there? Well, I was just no, gonna no, say we, if
0: we, there's like no 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 reviews is good reviews. Like I was trying to think of like, do you guys remember that uh, the good news? No oh, good news is good good news. <laughs> yeah. You don't remember that, well, Joe? Okay.
1: No, no. Okay. I don't okay. even remember what show that was from.
2: I don't either. So you had something you were going to say about these reviews here there, Joe? Uh,
1: so, kind of. Um, so we didn't get any reviews. But there have been, let's see here, me 678 ratings over uh, for the Game Jam. So 678 uh, votes have been cast. Uh, and the results uh, have been uh, chosen. So we have winners. So uh, I was just going to take a minute to tell you a little bit about the overall winners. So we got the top five here. And I mean, uh, it really
0: started with a simple idea that I had for my game, and uh, oh
1: wait, <laughs> <laughs> was I not the winner?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> so is it awkward?
1: <clears throat> no, sir. So uh, we've got some videos kind of in the pipeline. Uh, I'm just dragging my feet on it, but uh, I want to say huge shout out to to everybody because uh, it was really amazing. And so we'll be we'll be looking at uh, more these more closer uh, over on YouTube. But uh, just want to say huge shout out to uh, we'll we'll do top three in each category just to to get through it but uh overall heartbreak which is uh great and punny uh dead broke was number two for overall and this level is broken number three all fantastic and it, it pains me so much to not keep going because there's so much so much good in every category uh the most fun we had dead broke uh scaling perpetua and attack on aldaria and um <sighs> I swear we need to do like a spoiler cast where we just talk about every one of these games. Cause it pains me so much to not tell you the things I liked about them all. Um, I actually did
2: go in and play several of them. I, they, I, they were, there were some really good ones.
1: So it's but, taking literally everything I have to not like jump in and start talking about these games. Uh Creativity. Well, I mean, yeah.
0: Like, that I, I'm in the same boat with you, uh, Joe, but we already talked, we already have like the, um, I know you know the, the, the post games so that's why I'm like trying to not talk about it all over again <laughs> but I, I want know. to
1: yeah so that, and that's the reason why we're going it so uh, YouTube or Twitch will be talking about it for a while still uh heartbreak no thing is broken and do not pre-order games <laughs> ah! oh very great and uh hey you've heard of this one before heartbreak again uh for quirk no thing is broken again and this level is broken uh for the quirk so yeah a lot a lot of overlaps there because I mean, they're just amazing. So, yeah, go check it out. It's all free. Go play on the website right now. We'll have a link in the show notes. Very cool.
2: And as we'd mentioned previously, so, uh, you know, we had decided to do a bunch of ergonomic keyboard reviews. So just a heads up, you can go to our YouTubes at youtube.com slash coding blocks, and we have the Kinesis Advantage 2 review up. The Zergotech freedom review is up. Both of those are live and the one that I'm working on right now. And you'll probably hear at some point during this episode is the Moonlander. That is the next one up and it's a little bit loud. So that yes. one will probably be coming out here in the next couple weeks. So, uh, you know, if you're not subscribed to the channel, definitely go check that out. And, uh, and sign up over there,
0: if it's too loud, you're too old dude this this thing is this awesome, thing's right? like little
2: jackhammers.
0: I picked the correct keys is what you're trying to tell me
2: <laughs> yeah if you if you work on an island,
0: <laughs> what no, yeah. you just type in like a rhythm, and then you can like just make your own song of as you go, right? I think that's no. how it works.
2: So yeah, th- this one this one's going to be interesting. I can't wait to do the review on this. So you might actually get your keyboard back in 2021. That
0: would you know, be that, incredible.
2: Yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> like you know, you order the keyboard, you have to wait like six months for it to ship, and then you got to wait another six months for Alan to do the review. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, by the time I get it, they're going to have version two, and I'm gonna be like, "Oh man!"
2: Right? <laughs> yeah. You just hold on to it, and I'll be like, "I can't. It's too loud. I can't. I can't keep it."
0: Oh uh, man, I feel like you're like. I feel like I'm getting like a a sense of where this review is going. Right, <laughs> no, like no. right from the start. Like it's going to start off with Michael picked the wrong keys. <laughs> I mean, Michael could hear
2: me typing on it at his house right now. Is what's going on? Uh, uh,
0: all right. Yeah. I uh, I mean on on a, on a slightly different topic though. I, I I think some people don't take javascript developers seriously because they overreact. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Uh that was that was from uh Gels hit me up on uh um Slack with that one from a a tweet that he saw. That well, done. Yeah, I had, to, had to sneak that one in.
1: Oh, wow. all right. Well, I, I guess so on with on the show. That's that's awesome. Um, what, why, why are we doing this?
0: Oh, uh, pip install show.
1: There we go. <laughs> there are, are we there. just uh, sharing opinions here or what, like, what are we trying to do? What's our goal here? Yeah, I guess uh, uh, so. You you had the topic here, Joe. So yeah, what like was how you
0: put the onus on us?
1: <laughs> right, right. Yeah. You have so this idea so and Then you're
0: like, yeah. So what are we doing, guys? Right. Oh, that right. question was to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was just reading the
1: show notes, y'all. I don't even <laughs> know, know what's coming up. I'm an this?
2: Hey, so so tell me though, like, um, you were like, hey, what we need to do an episode it looks on why like Python?
1: Set up any home kit accessories? <laughs> Crazy kid.
2: God, Siri. Like
0: really, how, how is she so bad? Remember when I said that do not disturb, wasn't the same thing as muting the volume. I'm going to have to turn her off.
2: Like I'm going to have to turn her off. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Um. (laughs) but, but Joe, so I guess my question is like you, you were talking about why Python, like why everybody should do it. So what, what made you, what made you want to do this?
1: Yeah, so it boils down to three questions. So when I I first started trying to to learn Python, because I had some professional goals that involved Python, my first question was, why does anyone like this? (laughs) But then as I got to know a little better, I was like, wait, why do I like this? Uh, Because, I you know, I started turning the corner on it. And now I'm at the phase where I'm really trying to understand, like, why does everybody love this? Like I'm starting to get why I like a little bit, but like why is it so popular? And so that's what I was hoping to just discover with this show.
2: Okay, I like that. So I guess I, I dropped something in here. Like I, I I went and did some googling after you put put this thought in our heads. We were going to talk about Python because I too am learning it professionally, right? So. <clears throat> I have my ideas of what I like about it and all that, but I was curious what other people had to say. And the best that I saw, and I and I have this link in the resources that we like, but this one liner here is kind of what did it. It's a general purpose, high level programming language, which can be used to develop desktop GUI applications, websites, and apps that run sophisticated algorithms.
1: Yeah. And that's fine. But so is JavaScript.
2: And that's that's my thing right there. So, what you just said is exactly my thought. Like, if if I were going to compare Python to anything, it would be JavaScript, and then I would say, why pick one over the other?
0: But maybe I'm wrong. But I thought, I, like, if you were to compare those two things, right? Um. I thought that like one of the big advantages is that, uh, okay. Let's say you want to provide a library for JavaScript, right? All your code is, is still in JavaScript. Like, you know, may, uh, you know, that, that's how it is. Right. Um, And I know that somebody's going to try to argue about WebAssembly and or bring WebAssembly or something like that into the conversation, but right, but but,
1: bindings or something. Yeah, 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 but
0: but let let let's let's go back to you know JavaScript from ten years ago, and and talk about JavaScript ten years ago, Python ten years ago, right? Uh, So that you you can ignore WebAssembly type conversations. Um. So you, you want to provide that library and all your JavaScript is that your JavaScript library is all in JavaScript because you're staying at that level. But my, my understanding, and I haven't actually seen this done as I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I thought with Python, though, wow, my volume got really loud all of a sudden. Um, that, uh, there were parts of it where it would, you could have a library, but it would drop down into, uh, into like the lower level language, like a C or something. Am I wrong?
1: I mean, you can do that with marshalling and other languages too, though. Like, you know, so if you're working in a JavaScript game library, for example, then it'll, uh, do stuff in, um, you know, like WebGL, not WebGL, but, um, STL, which, <laughs> whatever, basically low level C, it wraps the bindings for those. So it's kind of similar in that I can call into native, uh, native packages. You just need to grab the appropriate native packages for the platform you're going to. I just don't know that that's necessarily an advantage that Python has over JavaScript they, like they both seem to do it pretty well.
2: Well, it used to be I, I think if you go back 10 years ago like what out, what outlaw was saying a second ago I think that is it used to be true but like now with um with Node.js and all that like I've definitely seen C libraries that Node can interact with. And it's probably because the node engine is written in C and all that kind of stuff. So, so I don't know if it's necessarily a, uh, just unique to Python anymore. Maybe it used to be. Cause I think I also saw that Python could also wrap Java assemblies and that kind of stuff too. Like th- there's all kinds of th- like, what is it? Jython. It, it, I think is one of like, there's all I mean, kinds of different ways to do this kind of stuff, but but I think I think you're right, Outlaw. Like, that used to be one of the big selling things, but I don't know if it's as big anymore. I, I don't
0: know. Nah, I don't. I don't. Uh, I mean, it's straight up in the, the documentation that, like, hey, here's how you can extend Python in C or right. C++. Like, they, they provide that instruction as part of it. Because my understanding was, like, some of the libraries, like uh, uh, Pandas, for example, like, part of. How it's able to be as fast as it is, is you have this like higher level abstraction language that is Python, but yet it can drop down. It, you know, there, there are some calls that are dropped down into like a a faster, more performant, you Mm. know, language like a C and to do like, uh, you know, matrix multiplication, right?
1: Well, yeah, but I, so I don't, I don't want to, you know, hang here too often, but you can yeah. do, uh, you can find those kind of articles too for C++, like node itself is basically extensions that JavaScript attaches to. But I think I have two answers and, but I don't want to say them yet. Uh, <laughs> cause we haven't gotten to the ad break yet. Uh, so, no, I'm just kidding. That's not the reason. But I, I think I'm still kind of discovering or tr- still trying to figure that out. And so I'll tell you my two answers I've got written down here as to what I think the difference is between Python and JavaScript. Um, but before that, oh, we could do a little bit of history. Did you know that Python was created in 1991? I did not know that. I didn't either. So that was years before JavaScript. So, years before Java, years before many, many, many languages. Huh. That's pretty crazy, right?
2: Yeah, ninety-one I uh Yeah, I was still in school. Like <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. grade school.
1: <laughs> uh yeah, so yeah, ninety one, so uh you know JavaScript I think it was like ninety eight, uh Java uh, around that time too. But uh I was reading about like when it became so popular and what was going on, and so uh by all accounts I could find, uh, which are pretty rough back then because things were you know kind of new, but uh, it appears that there was a major leap from 1998 to 2003, so up to uh, 98, uh, it looks like things were you know kind of quiet. It was a niche, you know, it was a thing, but um, there and, was a big leap there. And and
0: and by what uh, programming index was that leap?
1: Oh, it's Toyobi which is dark. yes. Sorry, Tyobi. <laughs>
0: no, no, come on,
1: yeah. But you Listen. know, back in 1998, like Toyobi was the only game in town.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> Visual Basic is still the number six language according mm. to them. Uh, to yeah, their uh, index so
1: yeah the way yeah the way they calculate that is is not great but I looked in other places too and so I did some research to try and figure out what it was and I was trying to think too like uh, that's somewhere around when I probably you know appeared on my radar I remember seeing books and stuff of course I was attracted to the name and I thought you know my name Python the references there is all just cool so I remember seeing like the O'Reilly books kind of show up like somewhere in there because I used to browse bookstores back in the day be like hey I want to learn some programming and uh you know I would see Python showing up somewhere around there so like, Google, would you,
0: would you go to like a media play and like get your programming books while you get your movies and your music all in one stop?
1: We didn't have those, unfortunately. I go Barnes and Noble.
0: Okay, but you had media play, Alan. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I do. I remember some. Like media it was play, the craziest I, store ever. Like you know, that had all of those things in one place.
2: Okay, but I definitely did not get my my tech stuff. At Media Play, I, oh, I still yeah. went to Barnes and Noble and looked at the bigger selection there.
0: Wait, was Barnes and yeah. Noble a thing? Wasn't didn't media wasn't Media Play a thing first? Uh, Barnes
1: and Noble was big back then too. Yeah, for sure. Walden Books. <laughs> yeah, mm. but uh, so that's when I, things are getting. You guys are freaking me out. I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. But you guys are both freaking me out. <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh, you're both like looking around, checking volume, like checking the mics, like what's going on here? I
0: yeah, I don't know what Alan's doing. I, I can't explain that. Yeah, sorry about that. something happened on my end where the volume got like really loud, but but apparently okay. it's only my mic that changed. So yeah, you well, can,
1: well now I guess I'm the weirdo. I guess yeah. Well, we knew that though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I did a little bit of research and uh, I was trying to find the kind of like earliest references to like things that like maybe like the killer app or the killer feature or the killer book that came out. And, um, there was two things that kind of stuck out to me. Like one was, uh, Google started rising up. Now Google didn't really get popular for the first couple of years, but, uh, they got their start in 1994, but no one really heard them until like starting in like, you know, 98 and kind of up there, but they kind of had a, a, an unofficial motto at the time where, uh, I found this quote. It was pretty funny. uh, It said Python where we can C++ where we must. I thought it was pretty cool. And so Google has obviously had like an outsized kind of influence on a uh, generation of developers that came up with Google around that time. And, you know, looking to Google as kind of like the pinnacle of technology for a long, long time and maybe still. But no,
0: you said, uh, I just want to make sure because somebody's going to catch this if we don't bother to catch it ourselves. Cause you said Google was started in 1994. That's where uh, – But according Wikipedia to Wikipedia, says. they were started in 1998, which is more in line with what I remembered, which is why I was like, wait a minute, 1994. Oh, well, maybe Cause, I'm wrong. Because they were like – I don't know if you know, man, but Alta Vista was a much bigger deal <laughs> before before Google was, right? Yeah, or, it's know, a not a bigger September deal, but they were a big deal.
1: 1998. Okay, Menlo well, Park. I guess I give something. So – so then that means that I still do not have a, a really good answer for why Python grew so fast in 98 to 2003. Other than to say that JavaScript was pretty much only, bro- I mean, it was only browser right. at that point. And well, even then, like we were talking about the HTML and gross stuff is only for
0: animations. No, it would, no, no, no. It still makes sense timeline wise why they would, why it grew from 98 to 2003 because Google was founded in 98. It wouldn't explain anything from ninety one to ninety eight, though. Right, and I thought that yeah. that's where you were going because you were saying that. I thought you were saying that Google was starting in ninety four and you know trying to like draw a connection as to like you know anything that was happening there. But yeah, it was just, basically what we're was saying is like the peak. first five years of Google's existence, uh, you know, they were heavy into Python and that's what started you know maybe heavier usage of Python. During those five Yeah,
1: I just, I couldn't find a good thing. I couldn't get, find anything really to tie it f- from wherever it started in you know, 91, 90-ish to 98. Like there was like, I didn't understand where things go. Maybe that was just organic growth. Maybe it was like a dynamic language that was easy to use and you know, all the things people like about it. And it didn't really have a competitor at that time. So that's where it was kind of like slipping up, up, up. And then, uh you know, Google was popular, but uh, even that's kind of a showing indicator because it didn't really get popular until kind of early on. People were saying, like, well, how was Google built? And there was a lot of people talking about, like, search and stuff at the time. And then um MIT switched over from Scheme to Python in 2009. And MIT is, of course, a really huge uh influential college. And other colleges uh, and universities had switched over to Python before that. But that was kind of like a like a, a big part of the change where like Python really kind of um, got like a big stamp of approval from like academic world. And also of course, during this whole time, the internet was really kind of coming of age. And so we were getting data, data, data. People were saving more and more data storage was getting cheaper and cheaper. And so there's a, a big tie in between Python and data science, of course. And so that's kind of um, carried on, but I read through a bunch of articles I could not find. I, I thought I would find something like somebody wrote a book, that was really popular or somebody had some, some app that was really popular that got anybody, I just could not find like a smoking bullet smoking gun.
2: Well, okay. yeah, I, I looked too and I couldn't find anything that just really jumped out. Like, why not Pearl? Why not? You know, well, why did this become more popular than Ruby over time? Right? Like, like, what, what is it that this thing had, and I could not find anything that seemed to be like this is what this is what it was right here right like it just i I don't know it just seems like it had a huge community is really what it boiled down to
1: yeah, that's one of my two things that I wrote down that like were really what sold Python is like one, it just had a really great community very early on of people that were really dedicated, really smart and really passionate. And just pumped out really great libraries and content around Python.
0: Okay, wait a minute. Uh, co- t- a couple things here. One is, uh, so you said that like because of MIT and other schools, basically like academia giving it, um, you know, this stamp of approval back in like 2009. You know, and you, and you referred to that as the time that like the internet was coming of age.
1: Oh no, I meant like, like 98 was the internet coming of age.
0: Oh, okay. Because I was like, wait. Pets.com was in the 90s, dude. I don't know if you heard, like they had like a little cute sock puppet and everything. Like that was way before 2009. Okay. That makes more sense. No, I meant like
1: 98 is like back when, you know, people were still AOL. People were just getting off AOL, in fact. And like the internet was really becoming a a huge force. And then 2007 is like the first iPhone, right? So like (laughs) that was like a huge other generational leap. But the, so I still kind of think it was like 2007 as being like the birth of the modern web. Like where you know, interactivity and the way people people use the web has Whipped. changed a lot. Oh. Yeah, um,
0: yeah. So I guess my my other thing though is, and again, like I, I never, I never like searched for everything. Like just like from what I had, you know, in conversations with others, uh, and I just kind of like took it for granted, and maybe I shouldn't have. But uh, you know, at least in like recent years, in like the last let's say five to ten years, I, you know, my Understanding was that it that the popularity was because of all the machine learning algorithms. The machine learning algorithms were because of the ability to like drop to to create those libraries in C. So you didn't have to if you wanted to expand it like you know there was like a, a tried and true way like hey here's how you could do it and provide it real easy and it would work and that was what I just kind of like took took those comments at face value. But I like I said I I had, I could be totally wrong and never bothered to. Like actually see like if there was any truth to that, but it just kind of made sense to me.
1: Yeah, and, and I can, I know like Lua used to be popular with game engines because it interrupts with C so well and, and other native technologies. So uh, I'm not totally sold on that, just because you know I've seen that with other languages. I'm like, heck, why not? Why not C? <laughs> you know, uh, if that's the case, or C Sharp, or or Java, or Ruby. Well, I,
0: I okay because we're always trying to build like an, the, okay. Think about it this way. We, we, we created these computers. We're going to have like a very fast, like walk through time here. We created the the computers. And at first it was like, you know, switches like binary switches. Right. And and then, you know, as part of that, it was like, Oh, Hey, you know what? We could write these, this code in like an assembly language and, and do things. And then it was like, Oh, Hey, we could add another higher level of abstraction on top of that which would be uh, very portable and that's C, right? And you can just like, you know, write your code everywhere and, and it's a higher level. it It's more portable than the assembly code that was, that we were programming in. So we're always like building a newer level of abstraction on top of the other thing that to like make some concepts easier. Right. And so Python is, like a lot of language, like a JavaScript, for example, like it's a higher level abstraction. There are things in there that you don't even think about, right? Like you don't you don't question the memory or memory management or anything like those kind of things are done for you, right? In modern day languages, right? Yeah. So that's why that's why you would
1: not use a C or a C plus oh, like, plus yeah, instead yeah. of no, I agree with that. But I'm saying, like, other, like Ruby has C bindings, JavaScript has C bindings. Like, that, I don't think there's anything limiting any other language from doing what what Python's done with those native libraries. I don't think there's anything. I don't think that's like a killer feature of Python. It's great that it has it. And maybe it, you know.
0: Oh, well, I don't. Well, I wasn't trying to say like it was the killer feature, but like you know, things just start to build on top of itself, right? Because because I guess if you think about like you made the point about academia getting, getting hooked onto it. And so then it's like, Oh, well, if I want to like extend anything for, you know, this cool machine learning thing, like, I don't know, I'm just speculating. I don't have like, I mean, following that thread though, I wouldn't be
2: surprised now that, now that you mentioned the MIT and other academia jumping on that bandwagon, I would not be surprised if that's why it became such a leading thing for machine learning, right? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of study that happens with mathematics and all that kind of stuff with coding languages, right? In schools and academia specifically. So that makes a lot of sense. If they jumped on that bandwagon, they started building the libraries to do the math that needed to happen for the machine learning and all that. That would make sense why it grew. Again, I haven't seen any article that, right. like you said, there was no smoking gun anywhere. I could, not, I could not find anything that was like, yeah, this is why it got so popular. It's been around for 30 years, but now it's gotten hugely popular in the past five because of this. There, there wasn't that, but machine
0: learning is definitely part of that. I mean, my other guess would be uh, related to Jupyter Notebooks, you know, like, I mean, you, there was a time when, like, you first started hearing about Jupyter notebooks, it was R, and then it was R and Python. And now, like, I don't hear any talk about R anymore. I was like, hey, here, here's my, my notebook, and it's, it's in Python. And it was just like, a, <clears throat> yeah, the notebooks were just a really cool way of, um, being able to, like, mix documentation and thought, you know, in a, in a, Formatted way, which was Markdown, but also have like r- code that maintained its state that I could like share and be like, hey, here you go, check this out.
1: Well, I think that's really important too because notebooks are kind of a nightmare to work with as a programmer. Oh like my if God. you're thinking about software engineering, modularity, being able to reuse software, um, Just know, pluggable interfaces, stuff this. like that. Yeah, it's really tough to do, but it's so great if you're a person working on a data science project who just wants to do some stuff with data and graph it and share it, right? It's perfect for that. And I think part of that kind of grew maybe out of academia. Um, I, I don't really know where that came from other than it, Python is really easy for new programmers to, to get started with. So if you tell somebody you can do a notebook in R, you can do a, a notebook in Python and you show them what that looks like. I know the choice I'd make, you know? <laughs> how how long ago do you think it was
0: that the notebooks were the jupiter notebooks were uh, started 10 years mm. yeah 10
1: years uh
0: so according to wikipedia it's actually confusing cuz they say that jupiter the formation of jupiter was 2015 but it spun off from ipython in 2014 wow okay right.
2: so we're going on 7 years that's, that's a decent amount of time to be around, honestly.
1: Yeah.
0: But, so, but that goes along with that time frame of it being like its its rise happening within the last 10 years, though. Right. And and if notebooks had any part of that, any influence to that.
1: And it seems like a really great fit for academia where I've got some data. I want to show you how I worked through to get to some sort of result. And I want to be able to have my stuff fact-checked by anyone else. You can take a look at the code, run parts, introspect Make changes, you know, peer review, whatever. It seems like perfect for that. I don't know if that's what it was designed for initially, but it, it just seems to fit in really well, and it kind of fits in with the greater narrative that we're kind of seeing. where like, MIT finally said, "Okay, look, this is the one we're going with," and then all of a sudden, it's the data science king, right? And there was the, maybe there was no king of data science before that. You know, there was no like one true platform, and so maybe that flipped the switch, or maybe you know, maybe my, MIT picked it because it was obviously heading in that direction. I don't know which came first.
2: You know what? Though what you said is actually what I would second. Is I think the reason why people get into it is because it is easy. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not hard to read. There's, it, it, it's funny. So Sean Marts had actually told me, "Hey, dude, you need to you need to try out Python." And it, it's just like with anything else, right? Unless I've got something that I actually have to do in it, it's hard for me to just jump into something because. I don't like coming up with fake projects to work on. I can't stand that. And then when I did jump into it, it I actually told him that it reminded me of JavaScript without all the braces. Right? Like it's it's spacing instead of curly braces. It's spacing instead of all the brackets and stuff everywhere. And it, it just it reminds me of JavaScript.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think that's a really great point that hit on there. So I went and Googled about reading about the MIT switch and what people had to say at the time. It was really unpopular. It was a very controversial decision. A lot of people thought they were catering to these, this new wave of programmers that were never going to learn how to really program and how computers work. And they never had a chance. And, and, uh, you know, people were really negative about the whole thing. They thought you should learn assembly and stick with scheme and stuff. Uh, But I didn't see anyone talking about data science. No one said, oh, yeah, they're picking. It was always because they thought MIT was pandering to this kind of new generation of kids that just wanted to get stuff done and use libraries to make the code rather than uh, you know, building this stuff from a true architectural computer science hmm. background.
0: But how am I going to be a script kitty if I got to like write it all myself?
1: Yeah, that's right. I need to, I need to stitch together to other libraries. Uh, yeah, and you can see like, um, that was a lot of the conversation in the comments that I had, like Hacker News, uh, you know, back in 2009, a lot of people were saying, like, kids these days they just want to stitch together libraries they're not true programmers and of course there was a lot of people pushing back on that and you know um, obviously that uh, the people who are using libraries are doing a lot of really great things and so you don't find many people making that argument anymore I do have one uh, one
0: like maybe asterisk to make to that previous comment that I made about the Jupyter thing though because like uh, I didn't take into consideration IPython which is what originally started the whole notebook thing when do you think IPython started?
2: Well, you said it split off of it in 2014, so I'm going to go 2011.
0: Was, okay. Wasn't yeah. it split off? Or yeah, what did I how, how did I say? That? You
2: said they forked, uh, or the, it, it split from IPython, spun it off from, from IPython, spun off. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, 2011. We'll go
0: there. 2011. Well, you were so close. It was uh, 2001.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, Space Odyssey. Been a minute. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Well, uh, so one thing uh, that I saw people talking about uh, in those articles, and I still hear people saying now, is that it's uh, easy-ish for non-programmers. So I listen to a couple um, data uh, science-type podcasts, whatever, just for exposure. um, uh, And that's something that they talk about all the time. They, They do not consider themselves programmers. Oh, but they do a little bit of Python for data sanitization and making their graphs. And that's how they think about it. They don't care about inheritance or classes or any of that stuff. I've been to
0: machine learning talks where like the, uh, I remember one in particular, uh, down at Georgia tech, the guy who was giving the presentation, I forget where he, he worked. He, his job had something to do with astronomy. I don't remember what, who he worked for and he didn't consider himself a software developer or a programmer but yet he had he had written a some code that it would look at all of the, the these various pictures that they were getting from the the telescopes and using mach, uh, some machine learning libraries he would classify what type of um uh galaxy the the it was in the picture and i'm like but you're not a pretty programmer awesome yeah but what but you're not but you're not a programmer but yet you wrote this machine learning code that like is automatically class okay fine you're not a programmer i don't care what you call yourself but i think maybe you wrote some code maybe you could call yourself whatever
1: okay, we talked about this we talked about the state of octaverse uh they said there was a growing number of people using github that didn't consider themselves programmers which sounded absurd at the time but when you start talking about this like maybe it's not so crazy
0: yeah, I, I think I think maybe it's just like where we have gotten to as well with just the maturity of the tools and the languages and frameworks and libraries and whatnot to where, you know, you you, you can have like your primary job, whatever it might be, uh, you know, like medical, like, you know, you could be a doctor or something like and yet, you know, you could stitch together some code to help you do your job. Right. And, and in fact, like, I think I there was like a talk that another machine learning talk that I can't remember it now though, but I mean the same way, like I'm not a carpenter by trade, right. But the tools and the availability to get the things that I need to go build a project at home, I can easily go do, and I can, you know, Maybe, maybe a car, you know, a tradesman might look at whatever my project is and think like, oh, that's crap. But, you know, all my friends and family might look at it and it's like, it's, it's 90% gets the job done, whatever, you know, and that's, and that's good enough. Right. Yeah. yep yeah.
1: yeah. I think that's a really good point too. And, and kind of, I think part of that is that Python is very much like batteries included uh, type of framework where uh, JavaScript has its roots in the web and part of the requirements for JavaScript was that it had to be really lightweight and small. And so if you look at like, the J- JavaScript library, you know what's available to you—just vanilla JS in a web browser. It's like 150 functions. You know, it's very small. It didn't have support for real classes, you know, and uh, half of those functions stink, and nobody uses them. Right? <laughs> They're terrible. And DOM manipulation, all sorts of stuff. And that's tiny. Anything about how many functions that uh, Python has built in? They have like namespace after namespace after namespace of stuff built in. I was looking at a Python file the other day that had probably a dozen imports and I was trying to figure out if any of them were third-party and none of them were. They were all just various pieces, you know, OS, math, whatever. Uh, and that's really powerful for someone who could just Google. Like, say, if you're a hobbyist, you want to do some home automation, right? You can go and look at, uh, you can do C Sharp on a controller and, okay, this is what a namespace is. Okay, now this is what a class is. Now you need to have a main method. Let's tell you about that. Or you can do Python it's like one plus one is valid code right one line let's say like one is much more approachable and i can google it and i don't have to mess with you know nuget or packages or uh restoring you know none of that stuff i can just kind of set my own import once i import on my computer once it's just available from there on after so i've got an environment that's just ready for me to work in there's some downsides to that too sure but it's very beginner friendly you know what i like about it in that regard just what you said if
2: you go to the command line if you have if you have python installed you can type in python and the code that you see somewhere like you said an import right like if you need if you're importing from os or or whatever if you're trying to get environment variables you can type that right there in the repl import os and then the next line you could say uh, os.environ and and put in the environment variable name that you want and it will access it. Right. Like, so you don't have to go through the entire rigmarole of, you know, installing, uh, you know, uh, like it, it, I don't, I don't want to pick on it, but like. .NET core. Right. You don't have to install .NET Core and then compile a bunch of stuff and all that, right? Like you could just start actually writing some code so and like, getting
0: results out immediately. You like the fact that it has a, a REPL, which uh, yeah, we, we we've defined before in the past, but it's been a while. So a read eval print loop, right? right? But there, so then you love Perl uh nobody loves
1: pearl wait (laughs) nobody loves pearl
2: what (laughs) you know what the first there's going to be somebody that starts listening on this episode this will be the first one and they're going to get mad because they're gonna be like hey i pay my family or you know i I get paid for no pearl like we're not making fun you're listening to (laughs) codingblocks.pl right yeah i but i am not a pearl fan so
1: and you can do great stuff with it, but uh, yeah, I mean, you'll have uh, a lot more opportunities in, in your future if you switch over to Python now. And I don't think there's anything you can do in Perl that you can't do in Python. So, sorry for making you give us a one star review.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and, you know, you you talk about like from the start though, like why Python, right? Like why did it become so popular? And and you know, back in those early time frames where Python was becoming a thing, though, Perl was pretty popular. Oh, yeah. During, the, during those times, and I kind of th- feel like Pearl shot itself in the foot with Pearl 6 or yeah. the soon-to-come-out Pearl 6 where we go to object-oriented. Oh, wait. No, no, no. It's going to be delayed, but it's coming out. Don't worry. It's coming out. It'll eventually come out. I realize it's still not out yet, but keep using Pearl 5. Pearl 6 is coming. Wait for it. It's going to be amazing. Hold on. I know. I haven't released it yet, but it's coming. Right. Just wait. Like right. I, I it do you remember like waiting like that forever? Like it seemed like it was like did it ever get released? Is this like uh they changed the name Doom or something? To like, hey,
1: we're just we're just gonna change the name to something else so we can just release this thing and move on with our lives. Riku is the new name, R A K U. Oh right. Okay. Yep.
0: Well the next, really the
1: next bullet
2: that you have here that it goes in line with what you said already is the depth is there when you want it, right? Like if there's a function you need in Python, it probably exists. Like, and it's probably part of the core stuff that you already have installed, which is really impressive. Like I, as somebody that's sort of new to it now, like the string functions that are available for it are just amazing. Like, like, Everything, As a matter of fact, my tip of the week is, is just a regular string thing in Python that blew my mind of how easy it was to do. So, yeah, it, it's just there's so much already baked into
1: it. That's actually my number two reason, by the way. So, Mariah said there's two reasons that I think uh, Python is winning uh, compared to other languages. And one is community. And the community, I think, is why ultimately this is my theory, you know, so don't uh don't hate everybody else. Uh my theory is that Python beat out similar languages like Ruby, Lua, Perl. They were out of the time because they had a strong community and because it was just good enough. I think any of those languages potentially could have won this war and we'd be talking about them today.
0: I think I think absolutely it would have been Perl if not for Perl 6.
1: Yeah. Like I I'm, mean CPAN yeah, was a big deal it. at the time, man.
0: You, yeah. Like it was so easy to just go and find like other other libraries that were available and just browse for them. Like you could like yeah. literally go browse the CPAN website to see like what else is out there.
1: Yeah, that was a killer feature that could have killed Python potentially, right? That could have been yeah. enough reason there.
0: I mean, CPAN was way ahead of like a npm or uh, like oh God, I mean, I'm trying like a Nougat or you know, any other kind of package management system. It was it was way ahead of its time. And you could just go browse it and see what was there. Python would have definitely won out, I think. Or not Python. uh, I meant Perl, I think, would have been a much bigger deal. But I think Perl 6
1: killed it, Hmm. inadvertently. Yeah, Yeah, I believe it. So I, I feel like that's what kind of got it halfway there. And the other half is the standard library. So and with me asking why Python, I think for me, there's always been a subtext there that says, why not just use JavaScript? Like, they're so similar. They feel similar. They're both easy to use. Like, all the good things that you say about Python, you can say about JavaScript. Ooh, except that standard library. Right. It's just not there. And I think that ties back to JavaScript's, uh, you know, things on the root And I think it's that rips. JavaScript maybe would have been a different story if it had started out on a server or started out on a computer.
2: Well, l- let's not pretend like JavaScript's not a big deal, though. right? Oh, <laughs> like,
1: yeah. It's huge. It's right. huge.
2: Yeah, but it is surprising that Python is just sort of—I don't know—it feels like it, it's sort of taken a big jump here in the past couple of years, which is surprising because JavaScript has grown hugely, right? Like I'd say, yeah. I'd say these are probably the two languages that most people will gravitate towards if they're—it's—I it, 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 think you said Script Kitty earlier, right? Outlaw. It, my guess is people that aren't. Um, classically trained in computer science is probably one of these two languages is where
0: they're going, right? They're either doing JavaScript or they're doing Python. And even if you are classically trained in computer science, I think that these days you're being taught a lot of Python. Totally. Totally. Yep.
2: And, and there's nothing wrong with it. Like, it's it's actually really good in terms of at least my experience with it. I'm sure, Joe, uh, what's your take on it? There it so, is. So.
0: It's the seal of approval. Those are the it's words good. of the show from that's, Alan Underwood. Right. Python, it's actually pretty good.
1: Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just it, it's always uh, been to me. It's like these languages, JavaScript and Python, they look very similar. They behave very similar. They both have kind of things you can do uh, on the server and, like, you know, there's nothing mathematical that i'm aware of in python that's any different but javascript can run in a browser so in my mind i'm like okay one's got a clear advantage over the other javascript's gonna eat python python's gonna be dead so like a couple years ago i think I said like look my bets on javascript for the future nothing's gonna touch it somehow freaking python touched it and i've been trying to understand ever since like why the heck python caught up to javascript right but I think it's really those two things. I think the I def- standard library is huge. And I think the community behind it ha- is huge and has been huge for a long time. Yeah.
0: I, I definitely come at it from my own bias bias that are in my own bias. Uh, but my own bias, which is, you know, like uh, I think that it was just the machine learning is like a big, big, huge it, it, reason why Python grew in popularity. Because there's so many resources out there that if, you know, if you're doing anything machine learning that Python is what you're gonna use for it, and you know it's such a big deal now I mean, like look at all the efforts in recent years into like self driving cars, for example I mean, so I guess yeah, I guess what I'm saying is you know your your Tesla is running Python
2: <laughs> probably <laughs> <is>. <laughs> you, you know, don't install thing- autopilot. <laughs> Another thing that's big about it, like, and we've talked about this with .net as as people that love some C sharp, like we all got excited excited when .net core became a thing, right? Because it was cross platform. It ran on Linux. It ran on Windows. It ran on Mac. It ran everywhere. Python's been doing that for a while, right? So that that cross platform thing is huge. You write it, it's. It's it's It goes back to that abstraction that the outlaw you mentioned a little while ago is, do you write a shell script and put it on Linux and enroll and with that, knowing that it's only going to work on Linux? It's not going to work on your Windows box. It's, it's not going to work on your Mac as well either. Or do you just write a Python script that... Has that big standard library, so you can do JSON manipulation if you want. You can do all kinds of things. It's got XML libraries. You can do all that. Try and write some XML garbage in in uh, in <laughs> shell, right? Oh, no. Like people start telling you, "Oh, well, there's this sed command yeah. that looks that looks like it was written on some sort of foreign planet." Totally plug that in; it'll work. Or you can write something that actually is readable in a Python script. And, oh, by the way, all you got to do to run it is type in Python and then the name of the file and it'll run. Right? So it's like, yeah, you got this cross-platform thing that has this amazing set of libraries that you can do things with pretty easily.
1: Yeah. Uh, web web browser is still a problem, and uh, mobile. Uh, I'm not aware of any like mobile app native frameworks that uh, you can build with with uh, Python. I think you're talking about Java or you know, C sharp, um, not C sharp. Sorry, well C sharp too, but uh, JavaScript or um, like Objective C Swift type stuff. Right. So I, I don't I don't know that it really has a foothold in mobile.
2: No, but what what it does is the server interactions, right? You can, yeah. you can oh, set yeah. up your API servers or whatever. And that's all in Python, but, but then the actual application itself that's talking to it is is going to be something else.
1: And yet, maybe there's something to be said for focus, too. Like, if I type in learn Python, like, someone's going to say open up a REPL or you know, open up whatever and start typing. If I type in learn JavaScript, it's like, well, okay, well, wait, are we talking Node? Are we talking <laughs> Browser? Because uh, it's it's, like, two totally different paths. So it's a big community, yes, but it's also kind of split.
2: You know what? I hadn't even thought about that. That's, you know, yeah, man, this goes back to our whole Java versus C Sharp stuff back in the day. Like one of the reasons I always like C Sharp was there was sort of like this predefined path. If you want to start up a Java project, it's are you doing Spring? Are you doing Spring Boot? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Which one of these 50 tools are you going to use? With Python, it's like you're going to use PIP, right? And you're going to use this set of tools. Just go do it javascript has almost turned into the java of that kind of stuff right like what package manager are you going to use um what thing are you going to use to bundle up your things is it going to be webpack is it are you going to use grunt are you going to use gulp right like it's it's almost like information overload where as like what you said start learning python and, and there's just kind of like an easy path to to getting going
1: yeah, you choose JavaScript. Okay, let's go web. Okay, fine. Uh, Angular, uh, React, or you know what, whatever else. Vue. Like, okay, fine. We do an NPM. Nobody use NPM. Use npx. No, wait, sorry. NPM uh, fixer stuff. Now you can use NPM again. It's, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, man. Today's episode of Coding Box is sponsored by Datadog, the monitoring and security platform for end-to-end visibility into your Java applications.
2: Datadog provides out-of-the-box customizable dashboards, Actionable alerts, distributed tracing, and an always on low overhead Java code profiler for your production environment all in one place. Ha! <laughs> I set
0: you guys up. Okay. So while it's totally true that you can use Datadog to mire your Java applications, because of course, why wouldn't you? Literally, Datadog's everywhere. There's not a place where they aren't. So, uh, yeah. If, if you want to, uh, expose your JMX metrics, you know, uh, Datadog has, has, uh, plugins and and support that you could like add in to, uh, you know, use them to monitor your applications. But we're talking about Python guys. Why are you bringing up Java? We're like, what are you doing, man? Listen, pip install Datadog. How easy is that? How awesome is that? Like just perfect fits right into this show topic. Pip install Datadog. You can monitor your Python applications using Datadog because, of course you can. Name something, name a technology stack where DataDog isn't. And oh by the way, not only do they have these platforms, of course they have amazing documentation to go with it uh with these APIs. But like you know, we we've had we we've been, had DataDog as a sponsor for years and the more and more we dig in and learn and everything about what they have, I mean it just it never fails to amaze me what a thought leader they are in this space and how they have articles for everything. So I was curious about Python because, you know, that's what we're talking about. Of course, they have articles available on tracing and monitoring your Python applications using Datadog and like how you could collect and customize and centralize those logs and tracing asynchronous code through Datadog. Of course they do. Of course they do.
1: Yeah, and uh, so that's the reasons why as a developer, I love Datadog. But also, it's uh, kind of an easy sell to your boss because <laughs> what, I, what I like from from a business perspective is I know if my app is up and running. And I don't just mean up or down. I mean, are the individual pieces working? Are, is there anything that's on the verge of falling over? I can go and look and create my own dashboard and set the stuff up so I know how things are doing. So if someone asks me how are things going? I can give a great answer. And if something looks bad, I can get to what that problem is really fast. And I just think that's really powerful. That's excellent. Hey, and Datadog
2: has support for over 400 technologies and automatic instrumentation for popular frameworks. You can start monitoring your Java
0: applications, Python, alongside (laughs) the rest of your stack in minutes. That's right. Start your free Datadog free trial to start monitoring in real time, listeners of this podcast will receive a free t shirt once you install the agent and create one dashboard.
1: That's right. And if you go to datadoghq.com slash coding blocks, you can get started. And that was datadoghq.com slash coding blocks.
2: So, you know what was interesting is when you brought this topic up, I started going, wait a second, I need to look back at that Stack Overflow survey, right? where does python live in terms of pay? And it was kind of right there in the middle of everything. Like it it was it was neither the highest paid nor the lowest, I want to say in the US. It was right in the middle of the pack and in the middle of the pack man it was like 120,000 a year. Um and and when I say in the middle of the pack like almost everything's falling right there between 130, probably between 110 and 130 is most of them. And it was right there at 120, so it was good.
1: Like, yeah, it's there with C plus plus. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's in great company. Um, it's it's above JavaScript. I think part of that maybe it, it, my first inclination is like, whoa, it's in the middle, it's not the top. Like, oof. But no, it's really. I think part of it's because there's a, probably a lot of beginners in there, and so if you looked at experience levels, that would probably be different. So it's not really a, a great comparison, but it does show you that like, hey, it's hanging in there for sure. Yeah, and this was out of
2: close to eight thousand. Uh, surveys, so yeah, man, it, it, it pays well. Um, then the next thing, and this is what I thought was way more interesting, is you remember the section of the most loved, dreaded, and and uh, wanted languages? It is the third most loved language. That's nice. That's really good. Yeah. Like, and and, and one thing to keep in mind here is not only is it the third most loved, it's one of the most popular programming languages around. So there's a lot of people using it and they still really enjoy it. And that's a big thing.
1: Yeah. What about Rust? I mean, nobody uses, but, Oh, well there. yeah, nobody uses it, but everybody loves it.
2: Right. There's, there's five people that develop
0: with Rust and they love it. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking too, is like you, you get paid more to, to develop in Ruby, but you don't enjoy it. Like you, you do it reluctantly. It's so weird it. to me. I, I don't get it. Like if you've ever messed with
2: Ruby, I actually really like Ruby. What I did not like with Ruby was the dependency management stuff, which is probably why everybody hates it.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a whole uh I got curious and uh, over here on the side I was I was doing some googling of like Ruby versus Python and there's a a very interesting Reddit post from like why is Python more popular from than Ruby from two years ago. And I included the link, uh, over there in the show notes and and I'll include it in the, in the, in the show notes as well in the resources we'd like section. But, you know, there was some like interesting discussion that was happening in there. And one of the, one of the people who was like, okay, here's, here's my experience from, uh, you know, writing in both of them for a living. And, you know, his answer was like, it, it kind of reminded me of why, like the reasoning that you've said of why you liked dot net better than Java, right? Like, cause you were like, you know, in dot net, like, Hey, there's this prescribed way of doing things and you know, you go down that path and boom, it's done. And in Java, it's like, Hey, here's 18 different things and you can go Google and figure out like which one's the way to do it. And everybody's going to have their holy war of like, you know, do you use Maven or whatever, you know, and, and you know, so. Now you got to figure out like, okay, well, how do I stitch all this stuff together? And his answer, like some of his comment, this person's comments in here were similar to that where, uh, he, he, well, I say, I keep saying he, but it could be a, she, I don't know. Uh, the person says that, uh, you know, you pretty much always know where, where the code lives. Let me read it exactly. You pretty much always know exactly where the code lives. Python always has a focus on the one obvious way to do something that generally means that developer will converge on that one obvious way. Ruby would rather give you a whole bunch of reasonable looking ways to do something and let you choose. Mm. Right. Um, and now again, this is just that one uh, person's you know opinion on it. So, you know, you're, there might be some Ruby ev- evangelist listening that would totally disagree with that statement, but it just reminded me of like similar things that you'd said in the past about dot net versus Java,
1: yeah yeah, and the focus is interesting. I saw people in that same article mention like academia and, and of course data science. I just kind of it's funny they mentioned focus on data science. It it's funny to hear them say like, well, yeah Py- Python is focused on data science, but Ruby is only focused on the web. I'm like, wait, right <laughs> well, web's pretty big, yo. Right. A little, a little. Well,
0: some of them were actually saying that Ruby is getting pigeonholed into just being a web dev tool, you know, like, you know, which isn't fair. I mean, you know, we, we use Ruby every day. Did you know that? Nope. (laughs) I I did. (laughs) Yeah. Like I have, I have some Ruby code that goes to maintains our Slack. Oh, Oh, nice. nice. Yeah. So,
2: I, I mean, look, I've done some Ruby stuff that was really interesting with uh, uh, one of the popular Kubernetes libraries, uh, and I cannot think of the name of it right now, but it's part of the CNCF, and it's what does all the messaging within Kubernetes, and I, again, I cannot think of the name of it for the life of me right now, but it's a, it's a big one. I'm going to go look it up real quick.
0: While are we, we talking about like something that's in the control plane? Are you talking about? Uh, yeah, uh, it is. They're oh, like the uh, like the kube yeah, system. Uh, no, not etcd.
2: No, ah, kind of... oh. oh, graduated it's project. Something. Oh yeah, seems... fluentd, fluentd, oh, fluent. Oh okay, yeah, yeah. It's and, and what's interesting about it is it's a way of shipping messages from you know from one place to another, and and Kubernetes uses it underneath the covers to to basically like. Uh, You know, one of the things that we've mentioned in the past that that we liked about Kubernetes is there's like a standardized way of getting all your logs out of your containers and stuff. And it uses FluentD. So I've actually done some development with Ruby with FluentD. And the biggest pain in the butt was dependencies. Like, I've never run into that with Python. Python was really easy. Hey, I need to pip install something. I'll tell it what version. Everything's good, right? It sort of bakes in anything it needs. Ruby? Oh, my God. You put in a dependency, you better know what its dependencies are and what its dependencies are, because you'll start getting into this just nasty realm of nothing works. And the only way to find out is to crawl all the way to the bottom of that hole. And it was brutal. Um, and and honestly, I think things like that push people away from languages really quick. If you have an awful experience and you've only been in it for a little while, you know, it's like, wait a second. It, it shouldn't be this hard.
1: I mean, Python, you could just import a single constant or variable. You can import a single function. You know, it's, it seems like it just, uh, you can grab like a little slice and then whatever slice it needs on, you know, it's all seems very consistent. I don't know how Ruby works, but, uh, I was, I definitely did like that about, uh, about Python. I think node kind of picked up a few, few tips from there too.
0: You mean doing like a, a from OS import? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
2: And then uh one other thing that I had on here, and this goes back also to what Outlaw had said, is if you're into machine learning, it's kind of hard to even really want to look at any other language out there, because, like, I mean, just go, go on to Udemy and and search for machine learning. Yeah. You will be flooded with Python. Like, you know, there yes, there are ML.net libraries for, for .NET Core or C Sharp or whatever, but but if you go searching for how to do machine learning, every course that you're going to see on the web is going to be learn ML with Python. You know, it will show you how. And there's tons of libraries. There's uh, PyTorch. There's... Uh, and I don't even know that these are machine learning things, but there's Numpy, there's pandas, there's there's all kinds of stuff. But it all sort of yep. it it goes in that I mean, they, world, right?
0: Yeah, they belong in that world. But like specific to the machine learning, like if you were to start with PyTorch, then you'd have like TensorFlow and Psychic Learn, which you know, like okay, so in the in the the Python world, you know, and focusing on machine learning, like you are going to need to know uh, other other libraries like NumPy and Pandas, and you know, you're going to need to understand data frames. And, you know, you might use Matplotlib, but, you know, I would say that if you wanted to get into machine learning, that definitely just start with Psychic Learn. They've got some great documentation and, uh, like they've got a, a flow chart thing with, it's not really, I don't even know if it's really a flow chart. I'll see if I can find it. I think we've talked about this before, but that just tells you like, uh, depending on what kind of um, problem you want to solve and like how much data do you have, like it'll walk you through like, Hey, here's the type of algorithm you should probably consider using. Right. Mm. And, and you know, it might not, I I don't know that I would say psychic learn for production purposes necessarily because uh, my last recollection of it was that, um, It won't take advantage of GPUs. And if you were like doing real production worthy um, machine learning, then you want to be able to take advantage of GPUs. But from a learning perspective, then you can get a feel for what a different algorithm is, when you would want to use it and why one is different than the other. And, you know, psychic learn would be good enough for that. So
2: a good foundational way to get rolling.
0: Yeah, and I'll I'll see if I can find that real quick, and I'll I'll share it with you real quick. Hold on.
2: Cool.
1: This episode is brought to you by DataStax. Now, if you've done curbside pickup from a major retail store, if you've ever checked Pinterest or watched a movie on Netflix, then you're already a Cassandra user. Why not make something amazing with Cassandra yourself? DataStacks
0: Astra does all the heavy lifting of managing your
1: infrastructure,
0: serverless scaling, operations, and creating data access APIs so that you can focus on the code that matters to you. Yeah, so Astra
2: automatically provides standard developer-friendly APIs like REST, GraphQL, schemeless JSON documents, even our native CQL query language. It's the easy button for a scale out, always on database as a service that spans the globe,
1: and that's crazy. I love easy buttons, and I also love databases as services that span the globe. And we got a, tu- a tour of this product, and I-, I can tell you, I cannot imagine an easier way to get started with uh, Cassandra and Astra. I mean, it's just fantastic. Documentation is great. Uh, everything that you want to to do is there, but they also have a nice way of kind of guiding you through the getting started process. So I'm really looking forward to to diving in and spending some more time there and really getting to, to learn more about Cassandra and Astra here.
0: Yeah, in and, and it couldn't be easier. Within minutes, you can sign up. No credit cards necessary. You can get up to a 5-gig free Cassandra instance. You don't have to worry about hey, how am I going to set up this uh, Cassandra cluster? Like, how do I do the install, or how do I operate this? How do I scale my cluster? None of that. They're going to take care of all of that for you. You get to focus on the parts that matter to you. Like Alan said, all the APIs that you are going to need or want are available to you. It can scale elastically. But hey, check this out. This part's really cool. Multi-cloud, multi-tenant, right? On dedicated clusters, so if you want it on AWS, you want it on Azure, you want it on Google Cloud Platform, wherever you want your Cassandra to be, DataStax is there for you.
2: Hey, And you know, one other thing that I really loved about DataStax is not only are they experts at running Cassandra, but the changes that they are making that are helping out the Cassandra product as a whole, they give back to the community. So not only do you have the experts there that are leading the way, they are also helping support people that are running the, out there on their own. So, you know, if you want to get started on any cloud in five minutes or less, go to datastacks.com slash codingblocks, sign up today and get a free $300 credit with a promo code codingblocks.
1: Yeah. And that's datastacks, which is spelled uh, data D-A-T-A-S-T-A-X dot com so data s-t-a-x dot com slash coding blocks to so sign up today and get that 300 hundred dollar credit when you use that promo code that pro- <laughs> promo code coding blocks all right hey 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 it's that time for me to ask you to please reeve please reeve, reeve. A reeve <laughs> all, <laughs> all <of> the things oh <laughs> uh, man you see this is this is why we this is why i don't do the big so if and if you can just help me out, I'll just stop right now. If you just go to codingbox.net slash review, click click the, the links, type it in some words, make sure to smash that five star uh review and then I'll leave you alone. <laughs> uh yeah, and
0: thank you for reading. Yes. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, uh how about um I, I well let me ask you guys a question first. And and this will dictate which direction we go. What do you get when you cross a vampire with a snowman?
2: It's got to be red. red,
0: uh, I don't know. I don't know. Frostbite. (laughs) Get out of (laughs) here. So that was from uh, Mike RG. I
1: figured. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, right? (laughs) It's awesome.
0: So uh, now we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. Uh, so a few episodes back, uh, we asked, oh, this was actually a question for, that uh, somebody, one of the listeners gave in on Slack, I think it was, and I don't remember who it was now. Uh, but uh, the question was, how many bits or data type could your annual salary fit in in whole dollars? And you got to sm- pick the smallest uh, you know, byte size or data type that matches. So, your choices were one bit, which is Boolean. Uh, wait, you can make money with this coding stuff? Or eight bits or one byte. I made a web page for a friend one time. Or 16 bits or a short. I'm an intern, or at least I get paid like one. Or it's a 16 bits and it's an unsigned short. I'm just getting started in my career. Or it's 17 bits I like my company. Or it's 18 bits. My company likes me. Or 19 bits. My company really, really likes me. Or 20 plus bits. I run my company. Or maybe it's some qubits. My salary is in a state of flux. Or it's string because I only get paid in thank you messages. Or it's negative numbers. Who needs to pay who needs to pay you for having fun? I pay for everything I use to write my open source project. Or memory addresses, because buffer overflow attacks are how hackers like to make money. All right. So uh let's see. This Even? is episode 47. No, this is not episode 47. Oh, you do the, oh, okay. This is this is episode 152. That survey was from episode 147. Uh, so 152. It would be Joe's turn to go
1: first. All right. Uh, qubits with 25 percent. Qubits, <laughs> 25
0: percent. Yeah, in a state of flux. I like how he didn't even have to think. He was just like, "Boom! There's my answer yep. with confidence." Qubits, 25 percent.
1: Alan. Well, yeah, because if I'm wrong, I'm just going to change it. There okay. you go. <laughs> makes I'm sense. Observe it differently. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's in a yeah, state right. of
0: flux. That's right.
2: Uh, you know what I hate is I have no idea what these numbers amount to because <laughs> I didn't go look at any of it. Uh, so I don't know I'm seventeen bits, say, the
0: maximum number of like you know, like if I just said, hey, give me like the largest number for an eight bit. You you can't admit, like right off the top of your head tell me what the largest number would be for an eight bit. Isn't that I'm just kidding, man. If you throw it out there, like any of those, any of these, I was giving you a hard time like 16 bits, yeah, eight yeah. No, bits, that's what I'm saying, 17, uh, I'm 18, completely 18. failing. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I, I have don't no expect idea. you to know those max know. numbers off the top of your head. <laughs> Why do you think I chose
1: that's how I end up with qubits? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, well, I'm gonna go
2: with 18 bits because I like the my company likes me. So okay. we'll go there and and I will say
0: 33%. Alan, 33%, true to himself with his optimistic ways, picks 18 bits. And Joe, ever changing math of chicken, <laughs> goes with some qubits at 25%. Did we and want to tell Alan what his
1: range was first?
2: his range was Yeah, you yeah. want to you want to give it to me what what is 18 bits?
1: Uh 8 well 17 bits is 131,000. Uh okay. 18 is 262. Okay. So 131 to 262. It's pretty good. Pretty pretty darn good. Yeah, but yeah. you're both wrong, so it doesn't matter.
0: Okay. Well, that sticks. Yeah. <laughs> they in the unsigned short. <laughs> no, no, no. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully not. Um the 17 bits was the number one answer. Ah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, 16 bits, unsigned short, though, that was third place. Okay. So, you know, we're too what far was, away. What was the uh, percentage on the Eight, 17? Uh, 17 was 48% of the vote. 18 bits was number two. Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: All right, Hey, man, dang.
0: People, so, people like dang. to buy their company. That's good. Now – uh, unfortunately, some of the participants in the survey are paid in qubits and that <laughs> yeah. was the fourth place answer. So uh, yeah, that's awkward. Uh, <laughs> hey, If you're
2: getting paid in Bitcoin, that's probably about the equivalent, right? Like one yeah. day <laughs> one day you're eating rice and beans and the next day it's it's the finest steak on the planet. Uh, right?
1: And right now that would it would be one of those days. Right, man. Getting at the time of recording is getting close to fifty thousand per Bitcoin. It's crazy. that is a lot of cheese dust. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that is a lot of cheese dust. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, you could invest in it if you wanted to. I don't know. Like, I I feel uncomfortable giving that kind of advice, but I would say that like if I had to give you any kind of advice, I would say that um, y- you should date a JavaScript developer because they always promise to call back. <laughs> <laughs> that one is from <laughs> Super Good Dave. It was actually a, a, a tweet that he shared from our friends at Netlify. I, I like that one a whole lot. That's I, I like awesome. that from the company Netlify Twitter handle. They had time to like share this awesome
1: joke. That's great. So that and, good. and
0: of course, promise is capitalized in the uh, in the joke to just add to its hilarity. I like that. All right. So, uh, you know, for this episode survey, I thought that it would be relevant to like ask, well, Hey, Hey, what's your favorite Python feature? And so your choices are all the ML libraries or the Jupyter notebook support or pip install everything I need or the virtual environments are the best. We haven't even talked about that yet. Or, Uh, I require a lot of matrix multiplication, or it's so easy to visualize data, or lastly, it's not Java. (laughs) I had to pick one, and so I decided to pick on Java for a
1: minute.
2: This episode of Coding Blocks is sponsored by Linode. Simplify your infrastructure and cut your cloud
0: bills in half with Linode's Linux Virtual Machines. Develop, deploy, and scale your modern applications faster and easier. Whether you're developing a personal project or managing larger workloads, you deserve simple, affordable, and accessible cloud computing solutions.
1: You can get started today on Linode with a free $100 credit for listeners of Coding Blocks. uh, So you can find the details at linode.com slash blocks. And Linode has data centers all around the world with the same simple and consistent pricing regardless of the location. And uh, I'll tell you, so I uh, i think I mentioned a few times that uh, I set up Kubernetes clusters. At this point uh, on Linode, I have <laughs> created and destroyed several Kubernetes clusters because it's so fast and so easy. And I don't think I mentioned earlier that uh, you can do uh, shared servers, which really is great if you're trying to stretch out that $100 free credit. And so uh, I... I don't know how little I've spent. It's been been crazy just what I've done with so many different computers and configurations and multiple nodes and um, some with like really cheap commodity machines and some like with uh, fewer nodes and much bigger machines. And I'm just trying to experiment there. And it's been a lot of fun. And uh, most of the time, I just do shared machines because I'm just kind of playing around and having some fun. So uh, that's a great way to uh, to really stretch those dollars. And then, of course, you have the option to have your single tenant machines, uh, so you can avoid those noisy neighbors. And it's just been such a great experience and so easy to set up. And they just give you the, the, the here you go. This is what you paste into your cube uh, context file. And there you go. Now you're set up, ready to go, and just done. It's a great experience.
2: Yeah. So one of the other things that I love about Linode is just their their management platform. So if you're going in and you log into your console, it's super easy to spin up a Linode instance. Like you choose your machine type, you choose what software you want on there and boom, the thing launches. And if you need to shut it down or restart it or do anything like that, you have access to all that in a really easy to use management console.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've been using it for years. I don't even remember how long we've been using it now, but you know, you can find out for yourself just how easy it is. See why we've been using it forever. Uh, you know, Choose the data center that's nearest to you. You can receive 24-7, 365-day human support with no
1: tiers or handoffs, regardless of your plan size. You can choose shared and dedicated compute instances, or you can use your $100 in-credit on S3-compatible object storage, managed Kubernetes, and a whole bunch more.
2: If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. Visit linode.com slash coding blocks and click on the create free account button to get started. Again, that's l-i-n-o-d-e dot com slash coding blocks.
0: Uh, you know, uh, so we're, we'll get back into the Python thing. But, you know, I just had like this one, one thought, though, because we were talking about Bitcoin and, you know, in, investing in general. And, and it got me thinking that, you know, like I, I, I started investing in stocks mainly beef, chicken, and vegetable. And I'm going to be the next billionaire. Out, <laughs> out! <Ouch, ouch>. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jim. Humble. We've got one for everything tonight. Yes.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
2: That, that is good.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, moving we along. So, uh, one of the reasons that's frequently cited, uh, in a lot of articles that we looked at, uh, was productivity. And so we wanted to spend a moment talking about what it was that made Python predict, uh, productive. And of course, one of the things we talked about earlier was package managers. And so I went and looked and, uh, we're getting close to 300,000 packages on PyPy. It's really quite good. NuGet has 243. I looked at CPAN actually. Uh, it had like 250-ish or so. Um so this was comparable and i should note too like that number doesn't mean better right uh, especially you know if <laughs> you can imagine the size of these packages can range very wildly so a package could be just a few lines of python or or maybe it's huge like pandas um node has 1 million though so it's Wait, still crushing
2: you said 243 NuGet packages thousand sorry 2 no.
1: okay 243000
2: no, okay uh, i was 243, like, 243. Yeah, I was like I I am missing something.
0: <laughs> you know what? No. It probably was 243 before uh .net core came out and everything went <laughs> uh, <laughs> package based. <laughs> now that's now right. it's 243,000. That's right. All right, so so
2: we're saying Python has 300,000 and .net now has 243,000.
1: Yep. You know, what's well, interesting hard you know, is this, that's not like dramatically bigger. So you hear a lot of people say, "Well, Pi, Pi is awesome." I and mean, It is, but the size of it is comparable to other languages. And Node just blows it out of the water. Mm-hmm. But I, like, you never know with like with something like that. Like we kind of talked about with GitHub too. It's like maybe there's some free Code Camp thing where you like create your first Node package and it's really right. popular. And so oh, there's a million and one oh, Hello World packages up there. Although or maybe not. I don't know.
2: You you hit it on it earlier though, Joe, with with Node because the actual JavaScript language itself doesn't have a ton of, uh, I hate it. to say useful, but it doesn't have a lot of additional yeah. features. Like there's, there's pad. Yeah. There's NPM packages out there that just do things like left pad
1: yeah. or,
2: or right pad. And it's like, that's what the entire package is. whereas in Python, that's built into the language. You don't need that extra cruft. In a package to install.
0: I remember the, uh, Alan's favorite, uh, meetup that we ever went to the presentation. And in, in, in that presentation, they were showing a, uh, angular node package that the guy had created for a calendaring system. Dude, and it was, I knew you were talking about that meetup. That was <laughs> <laughs> I, mad. I
2: see. I just got a little bit hot thinking about it. <laughs> That was like the biggest waste of
0: my life. Ah, <laughs> uh, so so in other words, I know the buttons to press and uh-huh. press the. You know, uh, not to harp on the 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 two hundred forty three packages for nougat, and it was two hundred forty three, not two hundred forty three thousand. Um, you know, prior to .NET Core, I would bet you that like two hundred of those were like different versions of uh, Apache Log for .NET.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> Hey, uh, so just for fun, so that with Alan's point about standard library, uh, I just thought, I was like, you know what? I wonder if people have created packages for things that are even exist already in JavaScript. So I just looked up uppercase and there were like several that were like literally all the packages is uppercase, which is literally a function of the language. So I was like, Oh, what about title casing? So I'd seen title casing when you capitalize like the first letter of every word whatever. And so I looked and Python has a dot title method on all strings or on the string class, so, you know, it's got it built in the library. There are 85 libraries with title case, and if you look, some of those, like, if you search for upcase, actually, that's how I got started on it, Uh there's, like, 30 of those, or, sorry, six of those that do the same type of thing, so there's, like, almost 90 packages right there just for a single method that already exists in Python. Yeah. So, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. all list. right so i got all i got all hot bothered there for a minute sorry
0: so maybe crazy. if you were to like divide the if you were to say like okay there's a million plus uh node packages but maybe like uh, a bunch of duplication there so maybe only a third of them are actually uh necessary or worth having or unique and so now you're back in similar ballpark of
1: um
0: pi and Nougat.
1: yeah yeah totally so yeah, I don't know if anyone's done any like real deep analysis on it, but if you were going to do some deep analysis in it, you'd probably be using Python. <laughs> <Same>. <laughs> uh, so uh, want to do like a sentiment up. analysis on the uh, description? Yeah, it's probably built into the little standard library. <laughs> uh, so I looked up um uh, several different li- like combinations that said like, hey, what are the top ten packages or projects in Python? And um like I found one here that is apparently uh, not very good. Because it's missing some really major obvious ones, but, uh, we'll have some links to some of those, or you can just Google yourself and like <laughs> say like top 10 Python packages, but like you'll see NumPy, you'll see pandas, which is like lets you kind of deal with data and tables in interesting ways. It's, and it's really good. All the machine learning stuff, TensorFlow, but there's also big things like Django and uh, Flask that I'm not seeing listed in this, which is just crazy to me.
2: Well, it's well, because you- those aren't packages. Right, those are frameworks.
1: Oh yeah, I guess yeah, I didn't think about it. Good point, really good point. Yeah. Um, so circling
0: back to that, the the psychic learn conversation we were having before. Uh, oh right. I, I just so I included a link, and I'll I'll have this in the resources we link section. But there's this um, psychic learn has a like an algorithm cheat sheet, and you have never on, seen hold it. Hold on, pause, pause. I know for everybody else listening, it sounds
2: like you're saying psychic. Like, read your palm type thing. It's sci kit, like science kit. Just just for anybody else that's trying to look this up after the fact, uh, we're not doing palm reading. This is science kit, sci kit.
0: Well, that's gonna make the whole Ouija board part of the conversation awkward, <laughs> right? A little <laughs> bit, a little bit. Um, yeah. So, Psychic Learn has the, uh, has an algorithm cheat sheet. And if you've never seen it, it's pretty cool. So, uh, you know, the, the, the title of the page is the, you know, choosing the right estimator. But the idea is you could go to this page and, and you look at it and you would think like, Oh, Hey, it's just a picture, but it's really not. It's actually interactive. So you start and it's like, okay, well, how much data do you have? Uh, you know, are you trying to predict, uh, something or, or are you trying to label something? And then it'll like walk you into, like a whole group of um, algorithm types. And then you can, you know, based on the amount of data you have, you might say like, Oh, Hey, you should use uh, this particular library. Right. And you could actually click into it and it'll take you straight to the psychic learn documentation for that particular algorithm.
1: Yeah, I was going to say too, like, if you are an existing programmer, like, you you've got uh, a couple of years of some experience in you and you just look for something to do that's fun on a, uh, like a, a Saturday afternoon or something and you want to learn some Python, like, you can just Google, like, top 10 Python libraries, pick one at random and, like, work through a tutorial. There's some really cool ones like librosa will do like, um, sentiment analysis, speech analysis. Um, there's a bunch of stuff for drawing with pictures is a, a movie library that's like, let you kind of cut frames out and stitch together movies and stuff. Like it seems like you can really have a lot of just fun programming with Python. So I pick a popular, <laughs> pick a po- popular package and just go for it.
2: Cool. Yeah. One of the things. So. You know, you were talking about the fact that the, they didn't mention, like, Django and Flask and all those. So, that was one of the things that when I was getting into Python that I think is why a lot of companies pick Python is because there's a lot of really powerful things that have been built for it. So, I, I think I had mentioned maybe on a previous episode, I know at least in Slack, I had talked with some people about... um Task runners. So in in .NET, there's there's a really popular library for running background tasks. It's called Hangfire. And one of the problems with it is the licensing. Right, like if you go use the free license, then you basically might have to open source the rest of your code un- unless you go with the commercial license. All that. And Java has them, but they're similar type situations, and they may not be fully baked. There's one in, in Python called celery that is fully baked. Like it's really nice. You can basically go in there, set up a Redis um, or a RabbitMQ type queue for handling your tasks and they have a UI built on top of it. They have uh, all kinds of ways that you can set up the scheduling. You can set up the tasks. You can have them triggered. You can do callbacks. You can do asynchronous. Like it's really powerful stuff. And then same thing with like Django and Flask, right? You want a full-blown web application? You got these. And they're really popular, they've been around for a while, there's a huge community around them. Like there are just some really well-done, fully baked, fully polished frameworks and projects out there that you can just use because the the community's been around for so long that they've been polishing these things for a decade or longer. And and that is really powerful to be able to start making something quickly that
0: that you don't have to put a whole lot of work behind. I like that. Hey, uh one one thing too, just kind of closing the loop here on something. Cause like it I was pretty sure that we had talked about that uh psychic learn algorithm cheat sheet before. And we had back in hmm. episode ninety two. It was a tip of the week. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought it sounded familiar.
2: I don't. I don't know how you remember this stuff, man. <laughs> I really don't. For real. That that was sixty episodes ago, dude. <laughs> no, <that's> pretty- <laughs> and it sounded familiar. Well,
0: I bet, <laughs> I mean, yeah, because like like you know, I, I spent so much time like just you know. Diving into that particular subject, so I'm like, I'm pretty sure we talked about I talked about this before. So, you know, I don't know. I get excited about a subject, and I'll share stuff that I'm learning or reading about it. Isn't don't it judge that me. Crazy. It's
2: been that long ago though, because I I remember when you were like deep diving the the ML stuff, like so yeah, uh, episode ninety, like that ninety two. That's that's
0: been a minute. Uh yeah yeah, T- time flies. Yeah, and that wasn't even like near – that wasn't even the beginning of that, uh right. you know, subject matter deep dive kind of exploration. Ooh,
2: I like what we got here. Now now we're going okay. to get on the dark side of of this subject here.
1: Yeah, so we've, we've been talking good about Python all episode, and I feel like, you know, we've got to do a good spot. Like, okay, so now I understand – why anyone would use it, right? I understand why. What well, things I like about it is basically the power and productivity type stuff in the, the libraries and why so many people are using it. You know, to me, the answer is basically the built-in, like, super powerful standard library, all the other good things I said, of course, too, and the community, which is just constantly churning out just great stuff for programmers and other people. So that's all good. And here's the stuff that sucks. <laughs>
0: The, the the thing that I hate about this is like, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you, <laughs> let me Kanye yeah. this. I'm going to let you go on. <laughs> but <laughs> what are the things that you have here listed in the suck section? I'm like, wait a minute. No, that's like one of my favorite things. But you know, go on.
1: Yeah, I know. T- I know what you're looking at. <laughs> so what's well, right. And, yeah. You know, I said, I said it very dramatically, but really these are a lot of things aren't anything necessarily terrible about Python. Like uh, I mentioned performance. It's a dynamic language. I mean, it's interpreted, it's got all the dyn- downsides that go along with that. So yeah, it's not going to perform as fast as uh, you know, something that you've done natively, like a go or a, a rust or a C or C++ type thing. Uh, memory too, it's got overhead for keeping that kind of interpreter around in memory uh, but the the upside is you got the business speed. You can get things done faster. more and,
2: and let's be honest, computes cheap comparatively nowadays,
1: right? Yeah. You probably don't care. That's probably not your problem. Uh, so along with that on language, I'll just hit the language things first. So, uh, late binding typing, you know, that interpret, uh, interpreters, it stinks when you type some stuff and it runs good. And then you hit some typo, that you did three weeks ago that you just never managed to crawl into that if statement. <laughs> and it was like, Oh yeah, I must've missed that replace. I didn't know <laughs> it. The pile language is going to find that immediately. You know?
2: Yeah. So, so what you're saying is there needs to be a type script for Python. Is that, is that, <laughs> is that your next project? Is that what we're,
1: you know, they've, they built in the, the optional typing system that makes uh really you know, releasing the Pydoc stuff is really easy to see. So if you're l- l- working with modern libraries they they pretty much tell you the types that are necessary and that the, your IDE will, you know, underline and squiggle for you if it's a problem. But a lot of the older libraries uh and a lot of the really good libraries are kind of came up from Python, two, And so they'll do things like they'll take an argument and it could be like one of 20 things like pandas is really good slash bad about this. where it's like, did you can give pandas an array uh or, you know, a list? You can give it a numpy array. Uh, you can give it, I don't know, probably a number, will probably work. You can probably give it C, CSV, it'll, it'll figure it out. You can give it a, something like a table, like dictionary, yeah, fine. Who cares? It'll, it'll have like one thing that takes like a million different types of arguments. And then the return type changes too, which is really bizarre to me. Like, I still think of like functions take in a certain number of arguments and returns a certain type. Python's like, oh no no, I'm just going to return a different type based on what you passed me in. Like, you give me a, a list, I'll return you a list. You give me a numpy array, I'll return you a numpy array. Like, who cares? And that, uh, is was initially very frustrating because I'm like, I just like, just tell me what you want and I'll get it to you <laughs> in that format. And it's like, nah, just just I got you, fam. <laughs> uh, so I'm learning to roll with it. You know, I'm still working on it every day, but it's cool. Okay, I got to
2: ask you a question because I don't see it in your list here. But it's sort of along the lines of what you just said. You know, you can return more than one type out of a function. What are, What are your thoughts on that? Like, it makes me actually physically ill. You don't like <laughs> tuples? It, yeah, like you could just you can return comma uh,
1: whatever. Yeah,
2: yeah, a tuple. You get like you return whatever you want, man. Like it doesn't have to be just a return variable. It could be. You can just put
0: 20 of them together if you wanted. It doesn't matter. No,
1: I dig it. And Kotlin has kind of still be on it.
0: It, But that's not even limited to Python, though. Like, Python isn't the only language that you could do that in, but I I do like it. Okay, so I
2: guess the difference is if you were going to do that in .NET, you would either have to create a type which wraps those values that you plan on returning, or you'd have to return a dictionary or something like that, Right. That's not what I'm saying in Python. In Python, you can return one, comma, true, comma, a string, comma,
0: what, like... Yeah, but like, you don't have to do that with .NET, though. Like, you, It doesn't have to be a defined type. You could just return... Oh well, you could do a
1: tuple. Yeah. Or a named tuple. Uh, it, well, it doesn't have to I'm be named,
0: through. though, necessarily. Yeah. But just I, the shape of it is is defined.
1: It's ridiculous. But at least you can look at it in, in C Sharp. It'll tell you, like, hey, I'm returning you some stuff. You know, get ready for it.
0: Right. But but right. It, but in like in the later versions of C sharp though, you don't. It doesn't even have to be the tuple though, right? Like you could just parentheses like return this comma you know var one comma var two comma var three, right? Like you know, a I dynamic is what you're talking about.
1: So your return type, you would say like you know parentheses int, and you know string right. or something like that, and you can right. give it a name. And I thought it, I thought that got translated to a, a tuple, a name tuple.
0: But in, in, in underneath
1: way? the covers, but I yeah. still
0: don't know that it's a named tuple, though. I think you may still- not have to name it. I Look, guess. I don't like it, that's <laughs> yeah.
2: what I'm getting. I don't like it. If you want to return more than one thing, then you should probably create an object or a class. That has those values in it, and then return an instance of that thing so that people can actually make heads or tails of it. Yeah, it. I
0: mean, I, I totally hear you, and that's where the named tuple comes in. That's why I'm trying to make that distinction because there's there's the positional value, which is what I believe the default is. Because the named tuple is where like the the thing had the value. It's a key value pair that's coming back, right? If I am I wrong on that, and that if I remember right. But uh, – well, and in Python, like, you're not going to – it's going to be positional, and, and that's the thing that you don't like, and that's the point you're making is that you should return back something to where you know that, like, this dot first name and this dot last name, you know, not – oh, the first name was returned first, right. and and the last name was returned second. Um right. Yeah. I don't like it. Like at one point I was like, Oh, I
2: can return multiple things here. Oh no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. I had to stop myself from using it.
0: So, so the thing is, is that like a, a Puritan, like, you know, if you were, if you were to, I'm sure like everything in like every uncle, uncle Bob book or post that he's ever written, like he would absolutely agree with you. Strong type, all the things and, and whatever. But there is something nice and simple to be said for, like, for those times where it's, like, just some, you know, uh, internal call that you don't plan to make, you know, external or whatever to where you don't have to, like, uh, muddy up your your type space, your namespace with all these other types just because you want to. (laughs) What is
2: wrong with you over there, man? Come on. I can't even get through my thought. Wrong
0: pipe, sorry, but <laughs> I think it. We killed Alan. That's it. The shows up. Uh, can't breathe. But at any rate, though, the point I'm trying to make before I was so rudely interrupted, with, though, was that you you don't necessarily have to like add in like 15 additional times because I mean we've talked about like DTO madness that can happen, right? And that's what you're describing is like when you want to return back these multiple things, you <coughs> might just create a simple DTO that represents what it is and and then it does get kind of messy because now it's like okay well you have this thing versus this anonymous a uh, type that you could do and then like the actually i think that's what it is it's an anonymous type that i was thinking of not named tuple is that what the technical name for it wasn't c sharp what so i, I, I looked remember. it
1: up it is a, it does map to a tuple <coughs> and it'll give names by default like item 1 item 2 so you can get your result and then do dot item so if you want to parentheses in and, and, and it'll be you know, whatever you save the result is, uh, of dot item one, dot item two, dot item three to reference them. Or you can optionally give them a name and it'll be a named tuple. Oh, okay. The the difference is, uh, it's strongly typed. You just, uh, so the types are specified. And that's why it's dot not dynamic. And so, you know, it maintains everything. It's just some syntax sugar there that makes it a little bit easier. And tuple is basically a generic class that, uh, wraps those types. And so it keeps, uh, keeps everything above board. Okay. Uh, honestly, I have to agree with Alan though when he said, <laughs> <laughs> So just had to get that. <laughs> so that piece.
0: All right, tough crowd, tough crowd. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to die up over here. Jeez. I don't know if you're trying. You're doing a pretty good job, but Man. you know, like one of the things that you mentioned though was that um you can't. You you know, you introduce some typo like two weeks ago, and you don't notice it until today. I could have sworn I went looking for it, and and at least on my install. Uh, I didn't see. I couldn't find it. But I know. I remember Perl had a, a dash C where you could just, like, run your command. Your um, <clears throat> You could just compile it to see if it was going to run. And I could have sworn that Python had a similar thing. But when then I looked for dash C, it was like, no, that was, like, to pass in a, uh, a program as a string.
1: Yeah, I've seen it as, like, Py cache files, like PyC when you run stuff. Up. I don't know if it well, uh, maybe does some stuff.
0: Okay, that was the – okay, so I was going to bring that up, too, because you mentioned the – uh, you know wanting to to compile things and there's you know this whole uh, I found this stack overflow answer and they were talking about that where like you know the python gets compiled into c python and it is the pyc files compile code is usually stored in a pyc
1: file okay so that's what you end up running
2: yeah but that doesn't mean that it's actually doing compile time checks and all that right it's just it's just the interpreted code that's been turned into bytecode i guess
1: yeah, I never understood that because my understanding is like interpreting basically goes as the as it sees the line. It will go do the thing. And so I don't know how that works. I've definitely seen the PyCatch file, so I know it's doing some stuff. But I've also had some places where, I, you know, I had a variable that was misnamed that I didn't realize until I hit it, you know, on some right. condition. condition. So. Right. I don't know. All
2: right. So continue with why it sucks. I, I'm I want to see more.
1: Right, well, yeah, I mean, web is a problem for it. So, you know, you can't run it in a browser like you can on with JavaScript, really. But most languages, all every language except for for JavaScript and the few that work well with, well, I guess, a lot of them work well with, with WebGL now. So that that's is getting kind of moot. But uh, mobile is another problem. So if if you put all your energy into Python and then you go try to do something on the front end or uh, mobile, you're going to be learning a langu- another language. Although we, we would be remiss if we
0: didn't mention Pythonista, that you could uh, play with Python on your iOS device, which I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. that was also another <coughs> tip of the week that we've done in the past.
1: Heck yeah! It Coming is kind of
2: interesting to me that C-Sharp is ahead of Python in that world of being on mobile and being on. It's pretty
1: online. weird.
2: Yeah, like that's Weird. kind of surprising because Python's been around since 90 something. Well, is it though?
0: Because I mean, you have uh, like a big corporation who has a heavy investment in C that would make the investment so that C could be on those mobile platforms, you know, since so you could use it to, f- uh, to write code for those mobile platforms. So I don't know, it kind of makes sense. Cause, that's like, a good point. Who's the that's big company backing Python these days? Yeah, that's a good point. <clears throat>
1: um so here's where outlaws could beat me up probably rightfully so there's some uh, oh no not quite there's one thing before that (laughs) legacy problems python has had a long history and because of some various uh kind of i don't want to say stumbles but some changes in evolution along the way uh it's led to a couple problems the most like the most famous being probably the differences between vice python 2 and 3 where there was a big split and a lot of people didn't uh, make that transition very quickly and even though python uh, 2 isn't supported anymore there's still a lot of stuff out there running it even though python 3 and libraries and stuff are really pushing you out of there very slowly you, you start up a python 2 out and they're like this isn't supported and we hate you
0: yeah it, yeah it was almost it, it was it was walking
1: a fine line where it was almost python's Perl 6 yeah right <clears throat> yep. um and python 3 is great you know uh, Python two probably fine. Uh, I haven't really spent any real time with it though. I uh,
0: I did find it. We did talk about Pythonista in the past. It was episode eighty eight, and it was a tip that uh, Joe Recursion Joe had shared with us.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Um, so yeah, the, the two versus th- thing. I, I am really not qualified to go into. The, the, I, I've heard Unicode is like part of the big reason, but there's also a, a ton of language sh- uh, changes that kind of happened. That made it so you just couldn't easily run Python 2 stuff in Python 3.
0: Wait a minute. We have to start being qualified to talk about these things that we <laughs> talked right. about on the show. Nah, yeah. nah. It'll be <laughs> fine.
1: <clears throat> I like how people, people were so uh, determined to stay on Python 2, the, uh, capable libraries like future or futures, whatever you call it. So you could like have functions and functionality from Python 3 that you could run in Python 2 by importing a library that kind of mapped it back. It's like, it was just kind of funny that it was so hard to move up from uh and as part of that no, part of um python versioning stuff here's where Alice got to beat me up mm. there's a thing that i don't love in that python uh kind of by default like most languages you kind of install like the runtime or the compiler and you do your thing uh python has such a big hard problem with that that you can find two different code bases or two different projects you're working on one's python 2 and python one of those python 3 And you cannot just use the latest version, Python 3, to run both, which is something you can do a lot of times with like a C Sharp world or a Java something. If you have a Java 7 app and a Java 11 app, you can just install Java 11 and it's probably going to do just fine with both. Python does not have the problem. That's why I'm frustrated with uh, the way that uh, languages the problem has basically been solved in this environment or mitigated, which is with uh, VN for virtual environments. Okay, you're wrong. All right. Tell
0: Um, me why. Because okay, okay, I think you're coming from the virtual environment thing from a from one from one perspective, and from your perspective, I I don't know. Maybe maybe that's fair, but um, it's probably not fair. But maybe, but probably not. But uh. But really, you should think of it this way. So the, the beauty of the virtual environments is that, and you could do the same thing with like Node, for example, right? Like, you know, uh, where you don't necessarily want to install requirements globally, right? You might have a project that where you want specific versions of something, right? And you want to, you want to be able to like work on that code and not worry about changing the, the versions of your requirements on that specific code base, and if you installed your uh, packages, if you did a pip install and you know whatever you whatever thing you installed, pip install Flask or whatever, uh, you know, you don't want to install it globally, and because the, then how would you deal with like multiple versions of that particular package, right? And
1: so, yeah, but you have to go out of your way in node to, to install something globally you have to pass a special flag otherwise it just goes right into your folder
0: So that's the folder. difference right is, it, is that if you do a node install you have to do you have to specify like a dash G for, to make it global whereas otherwise it's going to be local and and a pip install is going to work the opposite way right Like pip install is going to be uh, by default global. But if you set up a virtual environment, then you can work inside of that. But the beauty of that is that then like all of your, you know, same with like every node pro- project, right? You then have uh, your your code base locked into like, here's the versions. And now I can very easily hand it off to you and you can very easily recreate that environment. And better yet, we can have, you know, endless number of projects that each have their own dependencies and, and one isn't polluting the other in terms of its requirements. And when we decide to like, you know, update, uh, our latest game, you know, our Python, the dependencies in our latest game, we can install those in a new virtual environment and see and and test like, Hey, does this new version of the library, does it break my, my code or, you know, whatever changes I got, like you can, you can do those things independently. So I I've, I think you're coming at the, the whole virtual environment thing from the wrong angle. Cause the virtual environment is definitely not a, what's wrong with Python. It's a, what's incredible about Python. No, no. So I, I have experience with this, not good
2: experience. Uh, I couldn't even get it to work on my Mac, like oh, yeah, installing the stuff properly. Like, and I don't know if it was a problem with Xcode version that was on there or what, but it was always going back to an issue with Mac and the virtual environment. So I never could get it to work. So to me, virtual environments were dead. I'd rather do it all on Docker, which is what I do anyways, because it gets you basically the same thing that you're talking about. And I didn't have to worry about these global dependencies on my Mac not working out with it.
0: I, I guarantee you, like if you and I, if you and I connected, we could spend you know ten minutes together and we could sort out that that issue on the Mac because I've done this on Macs. It it, it works fine on Macs. It's not it didn't it's not me. like it works fine on Linux and doesn't work on Macs. And right, but because I mean I, I've used it in both like Windows and Linux and Mac, and it's fine in, in all of them. And you know. Now, I mean, just any kind of dev tools on Mac kind of get like in a gray area because of its need on X tools. But here's what's super cool about it is that so you get that X tools version that, you know, in there. But then once you're in that virtual environment, you can upgrade to a different version of Python if you wanted to or pip install whatever you want
2: docker too so why not just use? well okay
0: but we're not talking about docker this isn't i don't this is what this is why python is awesome not why (laughs) docker is awesome you should listen to episode 153 why docker is awesome
1: uh 81 actually
0: (laughs) so i'll tell you so
1: uh so virtual environments yeah so i like the sandbox environment true but how many times have I gone and checked out a project and, and they're like, uh, oh, it, it requires, uh, Python, uh, I don't know, th- th- three, four is probably good. And like, okay. I, I need to set up a virtual environment. Wait. But I want to set up to be on the same version that. The you're on. Oh, but your repository doesn't specify the version that it needs to be. So I'm going to set up a new virtual environment. And I guess I'm just going to guess what uh, Python version you, you wanted me to use. So even though we have a sandbox environment that lets me run the exact same version as you, it keeps our stuff in sync and is guaranteed to work, you didn't bother to tell me what it is because nobody in freaking Python tells you anything about their dang dependencies.
0: Well, that, that, that's the particular author of whatever library you're, or code base you're looking at that
1: like, I mean, shame that's on like them. for not of all the me. projects and you do know it. Come on. But that's now. ninety how many times you no, <laughs> look at no. the article and they're like, hey, yeah, start typing you're like, wait a second. It no, says I don't have wrong. pandas when I tried to run your example. It's, it's not
0: now? it's not ninety percent of the project, it's ninety-nine percent of every project in every language. Nobody, nobody ever documents all of their dependencies in their specific versions. You tell me one, like, let's say C sharp project, for example, where you went and you named out the specific dot net version that you were using, all four quads of the, the sem- semantic versioning, you know, that you were using. Like nobody ever does that kind of thing. You're lucky well, if you get to. a hint. So in a Docker. Python world, you might say like, Hey, it, it's, it's, uh, Python 2. I swear, I want to reach through this microphone and strangle you. You mentioned Docker <laughs> one more time.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, who thought Outlaw uh, Al- would be arguing against Docker?
0: Right. I'm not no, arguing this- against I- Docker, but I mean, the but the conversation isn't. So sure. Yeah. I mean, to Alan's point, yeah, you could obviously solve this. This goes away with Docker because like, you know, but, but that's not the point here, though. We're talking about. Right. Uh, we're right. talking about like people, trying to work people. within a Python world, and if somebody like doesn't do a good job of documenting, communicating what the requirements are, then that's on them. But that's <clears throat> you know, most every project in every language has the same kind of problem. So I wouldn't fault Python for that.
1: Come on, man, it's on it's on them and Python a lot because if I click the link on the article and say go get the code, it takes me to GitHub repository. NPM package right there. There's that. The, there's the file. The uh, the package JSON right there has all the dependencies. Same with C sharp. It's got all the dependencies out there in the code in in GitHub. I go look at the Python GitHub repo and it's just a single file. If there's even a GitHub repo, because it's probably just a <laughs> blog article. Whoa. Then it's because Python's so powerful. You can do so much in a single file. You can do so much in a single notebook. But oh man, you know what? Ooh, there's no license file because it's not actually in GitHub. It's only in the article. Ooh, they failed to mention that I needed PyKit and Pandas. And it only works on Python 3.6, which they didn't mention. I, I had to kind of guess that. And so, yeah, I could set up a virtual environment. But I got to guess the mumbo-jumbo magic stuff that is needed to get there because I don't have all that stuff installed in my virtual environment. I had to guess at what they wanted.
0: Yeah, I mean, said another way, what you can do is you could just uh, have your Python script where you say, like, from pandas, uh, blah, 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 or import pandas as pd. But – um. And, and, and in that, it will never be clear what the, what the version is, but that's why like as a, uh, uh, what would you say, call it a convention that, you know, you could set up a requirements.txt file and you can list out like, Hey, here's the version, here's the library I want and the version of it. And now I can just pip install and point pip, uh, I think it's like pip install dash R and then pass in the requirements.txt file. And, uh, it, you know. It will install all those things. Hopefully you're doing this in a virtual environment. So install it in a virtual environment, but, but it um, still doesn't tell you which version of Python to use there. No. So, so that's the rub. So yeah, you know, and that's where it's like, uh, you know, typically you would hope like they would at least give you a hint about V2 versus V3 of Python and maybe you get an- another, uh, point release, you know, version two, like, you know, in the case you gave us like 3.6, but I mean, we're, we're just as guilty about that same type of thing, even in, you know, a Kotlin or a, a .NET, you know, C-sharp project. Like we don't specify like, Hey, I'm using, this is uh this is a C-sharp seven project, you know, like, you know, maybe, maybe it's listed in the, in the, in a solution file or project file. I was you know, going to say, it's in there.
2: Yeah,
1: it's in the- Yeah, it's in. So I would say, like, with Java or something, it's in the POM file, but I'll, I'll say, if, so for those, you know, those are kind of different because of the backwards compatibility. If I go look at some random Python package, it's like, okay, yeah, great. Here's the code you need to run and it'll do your thing. And so you, you just copy paste it and you run it. And it's like, oh, Pandas isn't installed. And so, you know, you go look at, if you're not familiar with the thing, are like, hey, I got this error about something named Pandas. And it's like, well, duh, you're a Python developer. Like, what do you mean you don't have Pandas already installed? You're like, well, you told me to use a virtual environment, so I've got kind of a clean slate. So it's just kind of weird, like they, there's some expectations, I think, from, from some articles. And I think that probably comes from the background of this kind of like either uh, Jupyter Notebook-y kind of way of thinking about things or the kind of these single files or these, these tools that people just expect you to have. But they also expect you to use a virtual environment, which is a clean slate. So it's like, which is it? And which is frustrating <laughs> to me, and I'm kind of learning to th- just install freaking pandas with every virtual environment I set up. But it's just frustrating to me.
0: Well, okay. I mean, two two points there. Number one is that, like, I I really don't think you're being fair here because on the one <laughs> hand you're like, oh, I totally love how uh you know it's like JavaScript. It's kind of loosey goosey. Like I can get away with some stuff, and I love that about it. But why isn't it more uh typed, hard, strongly typed like these other <laughs> languages and everything's like uber defined? And it's like, wait a minute. You don't give that. You don't complain about JavaScript about not specifying which version of JavaScript. Like, have you ever seen a JavaScript file where it was like, "Hey, this is this is ECMAScript 2015"? Well, I don't even right? know because it just works. Yeah, but. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you're running like Netscape Navigator and you try to run like a newer version of JavaScript and of course it's not going to work. So I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. But then uh, JavaScript
1: doesn't move as fast. Like Python has like F strings for 3.6 and 3.9 has got some cool type stuff that made it a lot easier. So it's, it moves fast and uh, it's not backwards compatible.
0: Well, one one other point though, I wanted to make though about the the virtual environment file though. It's not that you're starting with a clean slate. Um, I mean, it's been a minute since I looked at it, but as I recall, what that is doing is when it, you create the virtual environment, it's basically taking like, hey, this is what you have globally available. And then it makes that it, – it uses that as the base for the virtual environment. So like if you had a Pandas globally available, then in that virtual environment, you would start with it as well.
1: Oh, I hate that too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just being a jerk. I hate – I look, I could hate anything.
0: Yeah, you can. And uh you know what? Shame on me for trying to trying to <laughs> stop you from hating on Python. I that is my bad. And uh, yeah. Sorry. Like, so coding Python, blocks pi is it. over. It's no more. <laughs> We're going back to uh codingblocks.java.
1: Yeah, dot Kotlin. <laughs> Kotlin Dot
0: .kt. Yeah. yeah, sure. We can do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so virtual environments uh great they they are fantastic it just sucks that you need them
0: <laughs> i can't believe that's going to be the takeaway no i can't
2: no that's good all right so let's <laughs> no, I'm actually, kidding, I'm here. we have osx which isn't even a thing now it's mac os so okay. what's Pull up with this thing
1: mac os for a long time i don't know but now but it came bundled with a version of python that was old and so a lot of new developers would go and try to run stuff and oh the version uh, of is my mac already has python oh but ooh, it doesn't work i need to upgrade it and you go upgrade the version of python on your computer and uh, everything dies everything's dead it's all terrible all these existing tools and utilities that relied on a specific version of python don't have it anymore
0: this is all the more reason why you use the virtual environment
1: yeah but i, I don't want to if i'm just learning getting started like you don't want to have like the you know like learn how to Code in pre- Python. The first thing you you know run into is uh is setting up a virtual environment.
0: This is this is the thing that I was trying to point out though. Is that like y- you you start out with like a Python two seven on Mac OS, and you create that virtual environment. You could upgrade Python to like a three six three eight whatever you want whatever you needed, if that's what you want to do.
1: Yeah, you can. But like, how, like Stack Overflow question for like how do I unscrew my Mac is like. <laughs> I've voted up a million times because a million people have done it. You know, <laughs> how do I
0: unscrew my Mac?
1: He's not wrong. Is there a buy a PC answer in there? I'm
0: sure there's somebody trolling it, like buy a PC, right? He is not wrong.
1: Yeah, so you know the trick is like on on OSX, what you do want to do is install Python three, but, but you're going to type Python three and pip three, and that's fine. Now on Windows. <laughs> You didn't install Python three, but it's going to be called Python. No, Python three. If you
0: wanted to make any kind of complaints about the virtual environment thing, then I can't believe that Windows versus any other POSIX OS isn't
1: going to be the complaint. Oh, I mean, I can complain about that too. Okay, <laughs> I can let's hear. It. Complain about anything, but uh, yeah. So, I but, mean,
0: but because that that is the difference. Like that is the the nuisance in my in my mind. Like. But, I mean, I get it. I don't necessarily have a good answer for it. But, you know, it's like a different uh, way that you're going to activate the virtual environment.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we've but seen whatever. the problems of sharing stuff, too. Like, um was the global assembly cache, the GAC for C Sharp? It was a great new invention. saved all sorts of, you know, space and loading times and things all over shell share libraries. But, oh, man, if you had a GAC problem, you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> You've right? forever had a problem. you ever had a problem. Right. And yeah. guess
0: what they did with .NET Core? They were like, hey, you know away what? away from it. Everything has its own little virtual environment based on whatever the directory is. That's where all of its stuff is.
1: All of its dependencies are there. I didn't have to know about it. (laughs) It's (laughs) in it for me because... He didn't uh, have to unscrew
2: his Mac with with Core, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I love it. uh, All right, so... The
0: Python Python community is not happy... Um, with us and and i'm definitely uh you know not winning any brownie points with them for trying to defend it and uh (laughs) so i just want to say to the python community i apologize that i was not a good uh uh you know steward of the of the language and uh you know oh well
1: yeah, no, I think yeah. I mean like I'm being totally. It's like one of the things like I know there's things about the language and environment and the ecosystem that are the way they are for really good reasons, and they're not going to change. And I'm going to bang on them anyway, <laughs> right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm with I'm you there. It stinks. It's, yes, the way it is. Uh, but they're they're also you know uh, here's here you uh, I'm I'll be hypocritical again. So I was just talking about how it's unfortunate but Python three hasn't been. More backwards compatible, and Microsoft has been, and that's been really great. And, and Java has been, and that's really great for for a lot of reasons. Uh, unfortunately, there's some older languages' features that haven't aged very well, and Python just needs to get rid of, them. <laughs> fix that junk like self in classes. Oh yeah, I'm not a fan. Yeah, every every uh, every class method, you've got to pass self as the uh, first uh, first argument. Now, Pycharm will pop that in for you, which is really great. But I lost hours when I first was learning Python because. Why on earth would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> so you
2: just skipped it and then nothing worked?
1: Well, yeah. I was just like, oh, I'm, well, here, I'm following some script, which like someone has a tutorial on that is just a single file and there's no GitHub repo for it. I'm like, I'm going to put this thing in a class because I'm a programmer. And then, oh my gosh. So, you know, at the time I figured out, oh, well, <laughs> apparently you got to pass the self method, even if you don't use it. Uh, otherwise uh <laughs> otherwise nothing works so, so that was kind of frustrating and it was like okay well now I'm going to move it to a subfolder so I can get the clear the stuff out of my top level and hey well, that's weird I can't import it now from a sub level but if it works fine if I go in there it's cuz I needed some weird init file that's mm-hmm. it could be empty and that's fine and yeah so there's just some like stuff like that that was frustrating for me that you don't hit in the tutorials the getting started because they tend to do these like one line two line or one file two single file, 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 file. right yeah, yeah there's definitely some quirks about it
0: And, and, and some of those quirks, like if all you're doing is like some stuff in notebooks and just exploring data, for example, you'll never, you'll never, never see it. You'll likely never see it or, you know, unless you're doing some complicated notebooks. Hey,
2: so this, this next thing you got here, I think you got a typo in it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Pep 80. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So pep's you know, good things. It's, uh, you know, I like consistency and one thing I complain about a lot with, uh, with Python is actually inconsistency. Like, you'll see two different projects. Sometimes someone will have uh, uppercase for files. Someone will have lowercase. Sometimes people will erase the vowel. some people, you know, Sometimes they'll camel case. Sometimes they'll underscore. Sometimes they'll know, you know no case at all. Uh, and then uh, PEP8 is not PEP80. Uh, it's just got some controversial stuff in there. Um, but for the most part, it's good. It's just really the line width, I think, is the main thing. And, of course, it's the spacing.
2: Ridiculous.
1: The yeah, line
2: width is so short
1: it's so tiny, but it reads nice you know so it's hard to kind of complain about seeing a file like that but when you're writing fun you're like you're kidding me 80 i can't get a string you know i can't do hello world but i mean
0: like if we've learned nothing from uncle bob shouldn't it point out that like if you needed to go that deep that like something you're doing something wrong like maybe you're you're dot chaining too much Right? Like, wasn't that one of the anti-patterns? Or I got a sentence. Right. That's the thing right there. What he just said. If you have a
2: long output, it's like, oh, it's too long. It, it, and I'm
1: like, really? It's. Yeah, it's I got a wide monitor, and it's like two inches, and it's like, my you know, my auto linter is like bumping to the next line. I'm like, nah Yeah,
0: Uh -uh.
2: no, no, like there were times that I definitely got mad about it, and I almost went in and modified the rules behind the scenes because I was like, I don't don't want that line on my screen right there. (laughs) Like, I'm I'm actually really mad about it. Pep 8. Allen. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, like, no, Pep 8. Legit. Like, this is, this is stupid. What's, What's right here is stupid. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a more realistic version
0: of this. Yeah. But yeah, I mean the eighty character thing though—that's always been like what we were supposed to do. Like, right? I mean, like I remember being yeah, back when that. you had
2: ten twenty-four by seven sixty-eight
0: monitors. Is that what we we're talking about? I, I think, Any uh, of the four by three monitors, you know, like <laughs> that—that right. that was that was the rule. So I mean, like, I, but okay. So so let's take the flip side. Let's say that it wasn't going to be eighty. Like, what would it be? Because I I've been in code bases that the three of us have worked in together, like not necessarily as like we were the only authors, but like you know for Uh-oh. for our day job kind of stuff, like we were in it, and there would be times where it's like, you know, you 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 could definitely see who had the ultra wide monitors and who <laughs> didn't, because there would be developers who would like Guilty. you know write code, and it would be like you're at character three thousand four hundred eighty two. <laughs> still on the same line. And you're like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Until I want to like, look at something on a laptop screen. And now I don't have that ultra wide monitor. And it's really annoying to have to scroll, scroll, scroll to the right in order to see it. Or maybe I want to have multiple files open. Like maybe I do have an ultra wide monitor and I want to have like three or four files open up next to each other so that I can see them on it. And then it's still annoying to have you know, really wide files or you know l- line lengths, and sometimes you're like, okay, you know, there might be such situ- situations where you want an exception, like your sentence example that you gave that goes past the eighty okay. characters. Okay, and you're like, okay, how, fine. How wide? So what? What would be
2: the limit then? One twenty at least. One twenty.
0: So all of this is for forty extra characters. Absolutely. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Also, you know, um, doing the Twitch streaming, I do shrink monitor down to uh, 1080p. And then a lot of times I'll increase the font just to make it more readable. And then sometimes I do the left file and the right file. And so it's nice to have, uh, to have thinner widths. And also I'm one of those people that would totally do a, a long line. And I'll tell you though, C sharp, man, there's none of those like l- those link method signatures that you can even fit in 80 lines just to see what the method returns. <laughs> that thing will go off the side of your screen.
0: Yeah, but yeah. even even in those though, like I still would like carry right. it down. I would, I would, That's yeah. I would do like a, a dot where dot select dot oh, yeah. filter. You know, but so, and all so of those wanna, would be on a different line.
2: So I, I I will back up why that character length annoys me so much, though. It's not because just because it's quite a popular complaint. Well, well, if you're following the pep eight thing, if you're doing something like a string format, it won't let you put the sentence down at the same level as the other one. Like if you, if you had your quote didn't start until character 60 on that line, it wants your next line to start at character 60. <laughs> so, so it's like, it exacerbates the problem, right? Like because of its strict formatting requirements, it won't let you bring the next sentence down and move it over to where it'll fit. It wants to cram it there towards the end, so you've only got 20 more characters to do again. Well, maybe you
0: should be thinking about supporting internationalization, and you should have your strings in a file, and then you're just reading those in, and then this problem goes away. That's actually not a bad
2: idea. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start creating separate files for all my log statements, and I'm just going to load them up. There you go. (laughs) There
1: you go. Like yeah. academia is like, hey, we love we love Python because it's literally just print hello world. But first, you got to set up your virtual environment. So here's you know <laughs> twenty minutes on that, and now you got to make sure you get your, that string out to a resources file. Otherwise, you're going to break that line limit.
2: And now you got to unscrew your Mac because yes. you try to do that virtual environment.
1: <laughs> yeah, because yeah, don't, don't code with Python two t- anymore, and that's what's installed. So right. you just and have like if a, you
2: type in Python, you don't know which version you're in because you don't know which OS actually defaults it to two or three. And if you're doing your pip install, you don't need, you don't know if you're doing pip install or pip three install. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So yeah. So Python yeah, Python is awesome. Forget.
0: And that's the takeaway. <laughs> yeah. So we talked like like hour and a half
1: about all the good stuff. So, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I'm going to continue on with it. And even if I didn't have to work with it, I would, I would do that. But I want, do want to point out that I, at least, and no one else has added, didn't complain about white space. I
2: actually like the white space of it. I'm fine with it now.
1: Well, it me I mean, you kind
0: of, the two of you just kind of had your complaint with the pep eight conversation though, with like, well, yeah, it being exacerbated
2: when like the that's next linting. line has to start at ling- line line. No, no, that's linting. That's not got anything to do with white space. That's got to do with its Stupid linter rules.
1: No, now, no I've, but, I've had errors because something like I would be moving code around, you know, whatever jostling stuff. And I would have something indented or not indented but that uh, I didn't intend to. And so that something weird would happen. I wouldn't realize that I made a mistake. So that's been frustrating, but it's far less a, often than I thought it would.
0: You have a bit of code that uh, runs when you didn't intend it to, because right. uh, your function ended early yeah. and you didn't realize it. <laughs> you're like, wait, I've what? definitely done that. Why
2: did that for def- loop just run? Right. And you're sitting there scratching your head. Like,
1: yeah,
2: my logic's, Sound <laughs>
1: and the IDs will like kind of auto indent sometimes and kind of help you out a little bit, but sometimes they'll actually do too much. Like, you'll just be moving some things around and like not realize that something got indented that you didn't even do. Oh, I've had PyCharm
2: mess me up a few times with that. It, it's usually really good, but it has definitely messed me up. But I will say, I do like the uncluttered. Feel of not having curly braces and stuff all over the place. It it, it actually is a little bit freeing. Yeah. But you missed a semicolon. I do miss the semicolon. There are I times that it really
1: bothers me. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to do like a really long horizontal line to just get that stuff out of my face, oh, I don't deep. care about. I really miss those semicolons. Uh,
0: I, when, when you were talking about the white space thing and get messed up, I, I was thinking of just plain old uh, like a Jupiter notebook thing because that's where it's like I'll have something and I'm like, you know what? I should really make this into a function. Let me let me define it. You know, define function, and then like maybe a line gets forgotten in terms of indenting it. And then it tries to just run that on its own. I'm like, wait, what? I,
2: I know, I know why we're all fine with the white space though, because we have been damaged by YAML at this point. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I just so, give up, Hey, it's better than YAML. So <laughs> I, I, I think for me
0: though, like uh, it's backwards because uh, you know, I, I was, uh, My experience with Python came before my experience with YAML. And so maybe my, my acceptance of YAML was like, fine, I've already been broken and beaten down by Python. So yeah, I get it. Stupid white space, whatever. Uh, YAML is
2: damaging. There's,
0: but yeah. So I guess with that, I mean, whatever Python, whatever, it's good. I don't care anymore.
1: We spent so long talking about things we liked. The only thing in virtual environments is the only thing we disagreed on.
0: Yeah, and that one hurt. That one really hurt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're great, though.
0: They're great. Uh, I don't know, <laughs> They're really man. They're mean, really
1: not. That's fun. I I, think, I have no. I don't have a better way to solve it. I, I, I will tell you this. Docker! I
0: think it's, My God, you do. Oh, oh, Docker. Here we go. Yeah, I don't, I don't to want to work. Hold you, though. Alan. I'm going to reach through this microphone. <laughs>
1: Nobody wants to work in Docker. Listen, listen,
0: I think I, I think with everything with the pandemic, like it's just really gotten to us all, you know, and like I know that even I just the other day I told my suitcases there would be no air travel again this year. And now I'm dealing with emotional baggage. <laughs> Thank you, Mike RG. Very nice. All right, so uh with that. <clears throat> We'll have some uh, resources that we like. Uh, there'll be a lot of links in there. And, you know, maybe after listening to this, you'll like Python or pff, maybe not. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> and with that, we'll head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. All right. So this one's actually
2: really simple. So be it, being as how we're talking about Python, this is one of the things that I love about Python. So... If you need to get the last character in a string in C Sharp or JavaScript or anything, it's usually a substring call or a a sub call or a write or whatever. Like there's there's just, there's usually like, you have to Google it, right? In Python, if you want that last character in the string, you could actually take the string variable and then in brackets just put minus one and it'll get you the last character of the string right? Like there's, there's no call that you have to remember. You can just get the index of it. And it's those types of features that are just really cool to me. Like when I actually had to go find this, cause I think I was looking for a trailing slash or something just minus one, boom, done. So, um, yeah, just simple little features like that are the reason why Python is so much fun to work in. So that was mine.
1: Do I go here? Uh, yeah, sure. All right. So yeah, yeah and Python listen dictionaries are my favorite things about the language. Um, so I just thought of my tip. So, uh, so, you know, I've been doing some Twitch streaming. I've been talking about it a few times, put it on, uh, you know, the calendar and stuff like that. Well, guess who else has been streaming? That's right, folks. You can go to them. This is Alpha or, uh, cause I think i mentioned it. He did already. So if you go to twitch.tv slash, uh alan underscore coding blocks oh look at me yeah i was on there for all of a few minutes (laughs) that's right well hey more to come you can go hit that follow button and whatever it is on it'll send you that uh that notification and we've got that that outlaw underscore coding blocks and you should go follow them and encourage them to raid me when they're when they're done so they're uh, they're much more entertaining than i am but (laughs) i need that raid you know what i'm saying i need that raid money I so. think
0: we've already discovered like from the last episode that I, I won't do raids anymore because it uh, it totally messed me up. Right. It turned out it yep. wasn't what I thought it was going to be.
1: Well, yeah, we had some issues. <laughs> I also I left my camera on for like uh, a couple hours while I went and got food one night. <laughs> 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 and it was by sharing my desktop, too, which is and it just happened to be kind of like a weird article that I had <laughs> from Hack News and just like left up for hours. This person who died. So, uh. yeah, awkward. Yeah. But yeah, Alan uh, uh, underscore coding box, Alan underscore coding box, all sorts of goodness. Cool. All
0: right. So um, I can't remember. There There was uh, somebody, I'll, I'll find it and I'll, I'll include it in the show notes. There was somebody that hit me up with a tip of the week where the, um, the premise was that there was a package that you could add into Git. So that you could do a, um, like a git, and then type in cheat sheet and it would automatically boom, show you all the stuff. And I thought, well, that was pretty cool. But, uh, what I super liked was that if you work and play in a Google cloud platform type of world, the G cloud command has that built into it. So you Mm -hmm. can type in G cloud space, cheat dash sheet. And it will, boom, spit out a cheat sheet of information for you. Like, hey, this is how you could do this, for example, or how you could do that, for example. Um, it was a little bit – the output was a little bit more verbose than the get one. Uh, but, you know, still neat that, like, right there from the command line, you can uh, get a cheat sheet of information. So uh, – and I apologize that I can't find – who gave me the git tip idea, but I will uh be sure to include that in the um in the show notes very cool, so yeah, all right well uh you know, we hope you've enjoyed this uh you know episode of like why you should probably stay away from Python <laughs> and uh oh wait no I'm sorry why 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 Python is uh popular. Uh and uh, subscribe to us in case somebody like just you know passed you a link or whatever, you can subscribe to us. You can find us on every podcast platform uh that has ever been invented or ever will be invented. Um but just in case if you found one that uh we're not on, let us know. And uh yeah, you know Alan has updated this helpful link so you could go to dub 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 dot, uh, codingblocks.net slash review and, uh, leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, you know, it really does mean a lot to us every time we read those reviews And, and we've had some where, uh, people will, will, uh, send us reviews via email or on Slack or whatever. And like, uh, it just really means a lot to us when we hear the ways that, you know, we have helped, others in their careers, you know, in whatever small ways we, that we might've helped by listening to this rambling. uh, You know, it, it really means a lot to us to hear that.
2: Yeah, that's excellent. <clears throat> and while you're up there at codingblocks.net, if you haven't looked before, we have amazing show notes. Uh, we do have some examples, discussions, all kinds of things. And if you are looking for somewhere to send some feedback or you have some questions, we do have an amazing Slack community If you're not a member of it, you can go to codingblocks.net slash slack and sign yourself up and be in there with, you know, many, many, many like-minded individuals.
1: And I was just in the Python uh, chat. um, I figured I should have, what I should have done ahead of time is gone and and tried out my arguments there and had them beat me up. So I would be prepared for outlaw uh, outlaw beating me down over virtual (laughs) env. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, at codingblocks.net or head over to uh, codingblossom.net and find all our social links at the top of the page.